0: Who still remembers Pampiro Furpo, who booked the screw job in Montreal who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley everyone knows it's corny who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom, who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier, everyone knows it's corny Took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding. Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's Corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through, he'll answer questions from you. And he won the pony too. Thank you, fuck you, bye. Thank you, fuck you, bye. Thank you, fuck
1: you, bye. Thank you, fuck you, bye. Hello again, friends. And you are our friends. And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's Drive Thru right here on another spring day here in 2022. I'm your host, the great Brian Lass. We have questions, maybe a song or two, maybe a game or two. We really don't know what we're going to do today. There's a few news stories we got to talk about. But the man who'll be answering the questions and doing all the songing and dancing and everything else. Songing? Mr. Jim Cornette. Hold on, I'm finishing wiping the snot off of my face. <coughs> 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 <coughs>
2: Sounds like you're
1: eating Where it, you too. You
2: just made me choke myself when you said this beautiful spring day. Did I say beautiful? You said beautiful spring day. It's neither beautiful nor spring. It, it looks good. If you took a picture of this day, it would look okay. But a picture would not fully immerse you in the experience that is this record heat wave that we are currently experiencing here in the metropolitan Louisville, Kentucky area. We're having a heat wave. It's like a heat wave burning in my heart. Can't keep from crying. It's tearing me apart. Sometimes I stare in space, tears all over my face. I can't explain it, don't understand it. I ain't never felt like this before. Has high blood pressure got a hold of me, or is this the way love's supposed to be? It's like a heat wave, Do doo 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 do do, 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 do,
1: do. i would like to apologize to Barry Gordy and his family. Well, what'd they ever do for me? I can tell you so, what you did to them. You just ruined their song.
2: Yeah, well, there's, there, that shows you. serves you right, Barry Gordy. He engaged in some, what you Barry some Gordy? shady activity with some of the contract talent there at Motown. But nevertheless, it's a heat wave here. Do you know what the temperature was yesterday and it's going to be even hotter today? I don't know what yesterday's
1: temperature yesterday was.
2: Yesterday no. was 97 degrees. Do you know what the heat index was, the highest heat index reported in the metro Louisville area? I don't know. 112. Because of the humidity, do you know what our dew point was?
1: I must have missed that on the news as well.
2: 77. 97 degrees with a dew point of 77 degrees. You know what that means, don't you? You're miserable. Do you know what the dew point? Do you even pay attention to the dew point? No, I the don't. Dew pay point attention to the dew point is one of the point. most important weather statistics that there is out there. The dew point determines whether you get severe thunderstorms or not, or how severe they may be. The dew point determines the. The humidity that you feel when you walk outside, the
1: dew point is part of your daily life, and you totally disregard I don't. your dew point. I do not. Up here, we call the dew point the weatherman. I see him on TV, and he tells me all these things that I need to know. No, 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 no. Cause he should be telling you the dew point, because
2: you need to know it. And you don't know your dew point. To be fair, I think he may say it, and I just don't pay attention. Well, see, now that's on you. Because he's doing his job, but you're not retaining the information that he's laying down to you. I assume he's saying it. I'm not sure. So it's not on me. It could be on me. Any weatherman or meteorologist worth his salt will be giving you the dew point, especially in times of crisis like this heat wave or severe weather or whatever, because it all goes in the mix. You know, for example, Brian, I know you know this from being a a grown adult man, a graduate of a major university, that if your dew point is, say, under 50 degrees, then you're comfortable. You walk outside, it's just like, it's just, it's wonderful air. It's a nice day. If the dew point's between 50 and 60 degrees, you can begin to feel a little humidity in the air, but it's still pleasant. If it's between 60 and 70, then you're getting sticky that's where it's that's where it's noted you're humid it's it's sticky outside and then, if you get above seventy, well, that's as high as the it's the red index on our weatherman's report on the dial there, and it's categorized as miserable and we had seventy seven a dew point of eighty you might as well it's over. It's over. You, People walk outside instantly, their skin begins to melt with the humidity and the heat and etc. So, you know, we were that close to death here yesterday, and it's going to happen again today and tomorrow. 110, they're telling people don't go outside. Fortunately, I don't do that often anyway. We currently have a dew point of 66.9. See there, you're not miserable yet, but you will be if you get this weather. Our low temperature, our low temperature was about 80 degrees. That's a record low. Well, not a record low, but a record high low. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a I know what you high mean. low. Yes, sky high low. Or, it's not a record low high because that wouldn't make any sense. Well, we'd just be blathering at that point. <laughs> and then we wouldn't want to do that if we were just blathering.
1: Why well, then this show wouldn't be worth listening to, but it's your show. That's right. Most wrestling shows start with the weather report as we just, did. <laughs> the weather report in Kentucky. Hopefully that helps everyone else. Well, we,
2: we've got news for our, our international listeners all over the world. We have such an amazing foreign. I, I hate to say foreign anymore. The world is smaller than ever. Nothing international. For an international audience that takes a global audience. Because international may not even take in the the scope and the magnitude of our reach. We'll say our global audience, people outside the borders and confines of the contiguous United States of America, plus Alaska and Hawaii, and our territories, I guess.
1: That's interesting. You think if Turner Broadcasting owned a wrestling company today, foreign object would be a global object? A global object. <laughs> that would have been And then some wise ass, if
2: MJF had been around then, he could have come out with a fucking globe, an actual globe from a classroom. But nevertheless, I have been enjoying myself. That's why I'm giddy today, even with the oppressive heat. I'm giddy because I've been enjoying myself immensely with the greatest new television program on the air. And, And you feel the same way. I know you told me this from your own chicken lips that you wish it was on every day. You can't wait for it to start again. I'm the same way. The January 6th commission hearings, I don't know whether they're, I hope that they're beaming this around the world. I don't know that they are. Maybe some of the, our global audience could chime in on whether you're getting any of this, but what they've been broadcasting has been riveting, It's stuff that we already either knew or suspected, but it's lovely to get some of the perpetrators and the, and or the minions of the perpetrators to actually come out under oath at a court of law and or well not a, it's not a court of law it's a congressional hearing they're under oath under the penalty of perjury and say it but Brian. again the big revelation for those of you who around the world who may not have gotten in on this this past what was it monday monday they aired the latest rudy giuliani <laughs> the whoa, whoa, wait a minute i wrote down some quotes did the the, the the incredibly inebriated or <laughs> massively intoxicated, what was the exact quote about his drunkenness? Several just came in right out and said drunk. Yes, but there was a there was a graphic on the screen that the first one, but at any rate, apparently now we have come to find out that all of Donald Trump's advisors and pollsters and assistants and chiefs of staff and family members on the night of the election were trying to explain to him the mail-in votes are still to be counted what had been reported on the news for weeks and weeks and weeks the mail-in votes are still to be counted it's not looking good but let's not say anything let's just say the results will be in in a day or two and we're you know we're in there whatever the case but Rudy Giuliani, who by two or three different accounts was drunker than Cooter Brown, stormed in to see the president and told him, just say you won. Just say you won. And and they should stop counting the votes now. And that's where that story came from. He listened to the drunken Nosferatu instead of everybody else on his campaign. Because I know Giuliani's a favorite of yours, Brian. So I know you had. And didn't did you see the the brief shot? They've got him on tape testifying. So there's going to be more Giuliani in an upcoming episode. And I can't wait because it sounded to me like in the 15 second clip they played that he lied under oath. Was that a question? Yes. <laughs> well, I'm I'm saying he's your favorite. What did you think? And did you in the clip? He directly, that they showed, he directly contradicted what they had just said. They said Giuliani was trying to talk to the president. They didn't want him to talk to him. They sent him to talk to the pollster and the other guy that was testifying and whatever. And then the next clip is, well, yeah, I talked to the president, but uh, some other people may have been in the room. I don't recall when he didn't recall that he talked to them first and gave them that whole fucking story because he was drunk. Anyway, that was the the question or statement.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was no surprise, and I think he's in a lot of trouble, and he knows it. To me, the bigger story was how they ended everything. The idea that they raised $250 million off this, knowing (laughs) it was all bullshit. Where's all that money? That's a lot of money. $250 million. Well, they they accounted for a couple million, went to the
2: hotels and a couple of uh, committees or groups that he was... Involved with but the vast majority of it who knows what and that was that's that's a, a federal crime and fraud in every state in the country he, they have pretty much got on record under oath everybody saying we told him he lost we told him there was no election fraud we demonstrated over and over that uh, what were some of the quotes i wrote down the white house lawyer the theories about the voting machines and the voting dumps and the voting switches, quote, nuts, just nuts. Another quote was idiotic. Another quote from Bill Barr, the attorney general, the most Republican motherfucker that a Republican can be complete nonsense and quote, bullshit, unquote. He wouldn't listen to any of them. And he's smart enough because he's been a con man for 50 years They still, although they may find it, but they still haven't found anybody to say that he has come out and said, okay, I admit it, I lost. He was always trying, he wouldn't say that out loud to anybody, but he was always trying to find somebody that would find him another way out of this to steal it, to change it somehow, to fucking obfuscate smoke and mirrors. But everybody for the campaign lawyers, the White House law, the White House lawyer, no evidence. If there's anything wrong with the Dominion voting machines. That's the White House attorney. His White House attorney. And they've got him out testifying. He would fire anybody that
1: told the truth until he found a loony. My favorite was the White House attorney who said that when he was laying out the realities of this, Peter Navarro, who I think was like a trade advisor, even though he was a kook, still is. Peter Navarro, he said, accused him of being a part of the deep state conspiracy. Yeah. with. <laughs> Chris Krebs, and the guy was, you can see it in his face. It's just like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. You disagree with him, you're a part of the
2: deep state. Because everybody on his own team then was part of the deep state, because they were all disagreeing with him. Every official that they have found that is responsible for anything, told him it was bullshit. And the only ones he would believe were the fucking crazies, like Giuliani and that Sidney Powell and all these lunatics who didn't have anything to do with the goddamn... They were just his Fox News like contributor consultants because they told him what he wanted to hear. One of his quotes was Indians, as in the Native Americans, like Geronimo, Shawnee, whatever the fuck. Indians are getting paid to vote. (laughs) What the fuck? And now people, they're also testifying people would threaten the state officials that came out and told the truth when Trump would bury them on Twitter for doing their jobs and people would start threatening them. The courts didn't just rule against every case he brought. They laughed him. They had a display of all of the court decisions and every challenge that he made in every state to this election. And over and over the quotes were ridiculous and harmful and the the, The major, uh, what, Ginsburg, the major legal expert on, he's been involved with everything since Watergate, I think, said it was a coup in search of a legal theory. And, And like you said, now they found out that he went on after everyone told him this and not only caused the January 6th insurrection, but raised $250 million from these suckers that believed his bullshit on the theory that he was raising that money to overturn the fraudulent election and find the secret of how they did it and restore him to the fucking White House when he knew it was all bullshit. And now where's the $250 million? Can anybody excuse this fucking guy anymore? Can any of the, even the most ardent supporters, when there are his own people and there's more to come. That's why it's riveting television. We've only seen smidgens of Ivanka and Jared. And just a little clip of Giuliani. There's all kinds of stuff to come up. But how can you not realize that this guy played all of you, whoever you out there are, that either gave him money or... Supported him in any way, you were his suckers.
1: He's the biggest Carney in the history of carnies Before we end our political discussion, the surprise political discussion here on the drive-thru, I will say last night I watched on CBS 2 here in New York at 7 p.m. the Republican primary debate, which was fascinating because there's one guy who's a local guy, Lee Zeldin. He's a Trump guy. Eventually he became a Trump guy. Now he's all in. He's now given everyone nicknames. And again, Trump can kind of pull it off because he's like a wrestling personality. Now you have these other boobs trying to act like Trump. Like, okay, Rolex Rob said this and never Trump or Harry. And he kept calling them their nicknames. He would never call them by their name. It was the nickname throughout the whole thing. And Giuliani's son was a part of it too. This is why the Republicans probably don't have a shot to win New York State, these four people. And... Every single one of them. Not one of them said that anything was done wrong on January 6th. Not one of them. One, I think one of them said Trump does have some blame, but it's time to move on, which is just an... What, what, he shot what the about, person in the head, but it was a long time ago, so let's move yes, on. That's a yeah, great let's move
2: argument. on. The, the body is buried now. There's no sense digging that whole thing back up. What about the people that is still cl- clang? Is that the past tense of clung? Cling. Uh, clinged. Whatever that still cling, clanged or clunged, there's something going on between their ears that clings, clangs or clungs. To the ridiculous, even after it was on television live, that but well, there was no violence. It was a protest. There were tourists. They were let in the the capital. The video of, from last week, over and over and over again, these people smashing. and they've got the Proud Boys because they put all the video together in all the security cameras and all the timelines and all the people they've arrested so far that were part of the insurrection. And they put it together in real time and they show the the Proud Boys and the other militia fucks, whatever their name was, um, leading the, the way to sort of the entryways that they wanted. They had set up and then the whole mob that he sent down followed in behind them because they needed numbers, but they instigated it. But there's people breaking windows and smashing doors down and taking the cops' weapons away and using shit as clubs to beat them and screaming and yelling. And it looked like the worst Mid-South wrestling riot times 50 lasting for three hours instead of a minute and a half. And there's still, do you think there's still people, oh, it wasn't anything violent. Where do you go to vacation and hang out and be a tourist if that wasn't violent to you? Uh, Cambodia? What the fuck's going on there these days? It it didn't look pleasant on the news when I was a kid, but I don't mean to insult anybody currently.
1: And I love Washington, D.C. It's actually a beautiful town to visit, and there's no way I would visit it in the last several years. It seems like at any point something could happen. So it's not really the place I would go for a big tourist trip right now. Yeah, but I don't know who these people are fucking, you know,
2: carnival cruise lines didn't look anything like this when i took our fucking trip to cancun me and stace i don't know where they're taking their vacations but anyway it's your show i should mention since i did mention stace uh the if you want and i'm a sin guy t-shirt with all the proceeds of course going to nami the national alliance on mental illness nami.org uh as we mentioned thanks to Brian Lass' uncharacteristic generosity in matching some donations that's, in May. That's not how you should put that. Well, that's how I did put it. You can rearrange it later on, play with it, work on it, polish it up, get back to me. Uh, but thanks to that and the matching donations from the Knights of Sin on the internet, uh, Fell and Bagley and Estee and everything that everybody's done to promote this thing. And did I just, if I forgot, Lee Petri, we raised over $5,000 in May. We have I don't have a total for June yet, but I will probably by the experience, and if you want one of those shirts, grab them quick, because we're starting to wind that up at jimcornet.com but you can see those as well as all of the figures that have been ordered since April at JimCornet.com have been signed and are in the hands of the Feather Bottoms, which sounds like a 1940s science fiction movie starring Albert Decker, but anyway, they're in the hands of the Featherbottoms, Bottoms, and uh, they will be in the mail by the end of this week, or even as you hear this, and we are up to date if you'd like any of the other merchandise at jimcornett.com. There's officially now no waiting for anyone.
1: But otherwise than that, I'm just in a good mood today. Well, let's get all the political stuff out of the way, because apparently... It ties into this next story, Jim. What else
2: has happened now politically?
1: Well, a lot of people have been sending this in, and again, I want to reiterate, we really don't know the whole story, but have you been following what apparently happened, an incident between MVP and Chris Jericho outside the ring? Oh, well, I haven't been following it
2: because I keep hearing the same story. Basically, they crossed paths at a hotel somewhere recently when... I get both were in the same town for some reason even though they're in separate companies and there was a verbal altercation near the elevator. And the only other hint that I have heard was that potentially it was about social issues that were expressed by either person on on Twitter. And I would think that specifically it was probably since we know where poor Jericho's head is at, it was probably something goofy that he said that mvp took exception to because i would have to imagine that they're about as far apart on the political spectrum
1: as as me and jericho what do you know about this well go into that you're right we know where jericho's head is at we also know where his wife was at so i mean we know where jericho's coming (laughs) from on this stuff
2: i wonder if they called her to testify before the commission or will she just be a bit player with no speaking part in the
1: background of some of the insurrection video but go ahead so apparently some internet wrestling sleuths have tried to put together this story. The story came out that there was an incident in a hotel in Houston after an AEW show. I don't know. Does he live in that area? Because obviously he works uh, for WWE and their AEW. MVP, I think, is MVP not from... Well,
2: he was at one time from Florida, but I believe now he does or has at some point in the past lived in Texas. So, or perhaps he's, he's multicultural and bicoastal. coastal The man's... He he dresses well. I'm sure he's got some money. He's probably got a
1: couple of homes. Nevertheless, they were there. They were there, and the word was that he was going to visit some of his friends from the WWE, like Matt Hardy, people that he worked with and knew. Well, there you go. Apparently, there was an interaction with him and Jericho, which led to a screaming match. Some have said it was almost a physical altercation. Jericho went into the elevator and either yelled or just said, I don't fight jobbers, which set off MVP. So we'll get back to that part of the story, because well, MVP but, apparently doesn't say that's the whole story. Well, but by, by just Jobber, now, in all
2: seriousness, he he was the manager for the WWF champ, one of the champions. He's a former Intercontinental champion, had a fairly decent career there himself. I wouldn't exactly put him in the Randy Mulkey category, so... Yeah, and it's possible. easy to call. So- and Jer- And Jericho was the one getting in the elevator when when the doors were closing,
1: right? Hey, you jobber! It's easy to call someone a jobber when you know they're going to kick your ass. MVP would kick the shit out of well, Jericho. I was about to say, also, was MVP
2: <laughs> not, uh, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs and nuts and bolts of his entire life's biography, but was he was he not uh, trained in something at some point that one would think that, I know Jericho got famous for either taking down Goldberg or Goldberg not being able to take him down, but that was 20 years ago,
1: wasn't it? it was a long time ago. So again, this incident happened. Word got out. People then start trying to develop the story, figure out what's going on there. Fightful Select reportedly reached out, or not reportedly, they did. They reached out to MVP and Jericho. MVP said, there was an exchange, but it didn't go down like that. And Jericho's quote was, nothing else to say. I don't fight jobbers. Nuff said. So he's holding to that line. It sounds like he's not disagreeing with that being the line that was said. Some internet sleuths have tried to figure out where this stems from. Apparently, this tweet, November 4th, 2020, so again, election time, Chris Jericho said, I'm not a political person, but is it strange to anybody else that for the first time ever, we have to wait a day, two days, five days, Uh... ten days to find out who won the presidential race? To which MVP replied, delete this. (laughs) And then someone said, yeah, MVP, you tell him what to do. Don't let him have his own opinion. And MVP replied, misinformation or categorically false information is not an opinion. There are no such things as alternative facts. But hey, no reason to let the truth get in the way. Boom. And that's, you
2: know, here's the thing. Everybody... That retweeted or spread that horseshit when, if Chris was able to watch real news instead of living in his fucking Fox bubble, he would have known that everybody that paid attention had been saying that that was going to take place for weeks and weeks. But it wasn't a surprise. But it was a surprise to them because their their dipshit leader and this is another thing that came out in the in the commission hearings was telling people, don't vote by mail. Go in person in a pandemic. And they they didn't think he was doing himself any favors there either. So spreading, missing, I'm on MVP's side. Wait a minute, hold on here. Let me, uh, I wasn't ready. I didn't think early enough in the program there I was going to have to give somebody a round of applause. But yes, it doesn't help when people that ought to fucking know better spread bullshit to the more gullible, weak-minded people who will easily believe it.
1: Well, apparently after MVP made his statement, Chris Jericho blocked him on Twitter. (laughs) So a lot of people were pointing to this specific interaction, if you want to call it that, and the subsequent blocking as being potentially part of what caused this. The word that came out was the argument they were having in the hotel in Houston was about social and political issues you have to think it's all tied to this. You would think on the face of it, it's all tied to this.
2: Well, is it all tied to this or was this a Twitter exchange, a rehashing or a, a reprise, if you will, of, of something else that they maybe have discussed in person and MVP has rolled his eyes at Mr. Jericho in the past. And I mean, who knows? Because if you've got, I mean, I had somebody one time say to me, well, what do you expect from Jericho? He's a, fucking rich white guy. But no, you can still have a brain especially when you've been in a business that's showbiz for most of your all of your adult life and you ought to know a line of bullshit when you see it and
1: hear it. But nevertheless. Let's also remind everyone, Chris Jericho has the option to return to Canada anytime he wants. <laughs> in fact, some of us may pay for the transit. Actually, I don't know. It's awful hard to get into Canada. I
2: don't know whether Chris could qualify these days. He's a dual citizen, isn't he? Well, but that, you know, they'll fuck with you anyway. (laughs) It's not just me. (laughs) I have, let me tell you something. I have over the last 20 years, I have discussed this with a number of professional wrestlers. And these are guys that have made multiple trips to Japan and wrestled in the United Kingdom, and been to, you know, Germany. I mean, I just name countries, 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 right? And also, and I have been, as you know, twice in the last 10 years, over across the pond to the United Kingdom. Hello, Kenny Mac. And everybody has universally told me that they have more trouble getting into Canada than they do any other country in the world. And it, it, whether it be the UK or Japan or Germany or Australia, or wherever the fuck, it's a bigger pain in the ass, you go through more shit, you might get pulled or stalled or delayed or detained or generally made to feel uncomfortable trying to go to Canada than any other country that they've been to. And the Canadians are not, they're not like, hey, what the, who the fuck are you talking to? It's just their goddamn border people. And remember, they don't they don't keep nasty people out because remember, we've commented on a number of people that are in Canada that are like, well, how the fuck did he get there if you're so worried
1: about fucking spitting on the sidewalk? But go ahead. I was going to say, you said hello to Kenny Mack. Do you realize that right now there are more Macintoshes in wrestling than McMahon's? How many Macintoshes are there? Well, if there's one, there's equal amount as there are McMahon's.
2: Well, so you let's... said more. I'm trying to. There has to be a second Macintosh. And, you know, at, at Kenny Macintosh, I'll tell you what, he's a goddamn. He's a. He's what do they call a doggin over there in the UK? He'll go around and, and spread his seed around and just inseminate everybody. He's what? a wild man. He'll, he'll kick <laughs> Ric Flair's ass and partying. But so there may be more Macintoshes, but I, there's an equal number. That's it's it's it, the, the worm is turning. There's an equal number of MacIntoshes and McMahons in wrestling and an equal number of McMahons and Jarretts in the executive positions in the WWE. Who would have ever thunk it?
1: Well, I guess to end this segment, go get him next time, MVP. We're rooting for you. Yeah.
2: Hey, if you need, we'll teach you a few things. We'll work out with you. We could be like Briscoe for Shawn Michaels the night before the Montreal match. We could go to get in the room with MVP and teach him a few things, how to take care of himself.
1: Listen, move one, go for the weave. (laughs) That's it. It's over. It's, It's all over then. But listen, Jim, let's stay on the topic of things that are happening in and around the world of wrestling as we are recording. Word came out yesterday that Jeff Hardy had, again, been arrested I believe it's a DUI, and he was also, was it drug and alcohol on his possession as well? I got to go back to the charges here. I have it, but. Well, no, there was no drugs that I, the, what I read was
2: basically uh, he was pulled over for weaving on and off the road and erratic driving or whatever. And he smelled like alcohol, could not pass any of the functions of, of the physical test they give you. And, you know, they, they picked him up and gave him a test and his blood alcohol level came back at a disturbing level. Uh, nobody saying anything about drugs. I don't know if there was an open container in the car. I, I don't know whether I read that or not, but they got him on several charges because he's got no fucking license
1: and well jim let me i have an article ahead. here this is from the new york post because it sums up a lot of the things that we'll probably have some questions about so we'll talk about it again in a second by ryan glass spiel or excuse what me did you are is that english what did you just say actually i said it wrong by ryan glass spiegel here in the new york post aew star jeff hardy arrested on dui charge with more than triple legal bac limit say the cops Professional wrestling legend Jeff Hardy has been arrested for alleged DUI in Florida. Volusia, is that how you say that? Volusia, yes. Volusia County Jail record show Hardy was booked at 12:45 a.m. on Monday and charged with DUI, alcohol drugs, third offense within 10 years, and driving with a suspended or revoked license. He is being held on $3500 bond, I believe he's been bailed out now. According to TMZ, Police documents say Hardy had a blood alcohol content more than three times the legal limit of .08, registering .294 and .291 on two readings. Cops also said, according to TMZ, that they received four calls about a poor driving pattern from Mm. Hardy's white Dodge Charger, which was traveling well under the speed limit when police tracked him down. Hardy was said to be in a stupor and confused, per the report. Hardy, 44, currently wrestles in All Elite Wrestling. He and his brother, Matt, were scheduled for a ladder match with the Young Bucks and Jurassic Express for this Wednesday's episode of AEW Dynamite. Hardy has a long-documented history of struggles with substance abuse, and it goes into a little bit of it from there.
2: Well, I mean, everybody can make a mistake. Having said that, when you make three of those mistakes in a, in a five-year calendar period, it was what was 2018, 2019, and now 2022. And then when you, on top of that, make that mistake while you're in a car that he doesn't live in Florida. He lives in North Carolina. Did he drive down there instead of fly? Possibly. But if so, did he, with no license, did he drive from North Carolina to Florida to make the shows that he was going to do, and then he gets picked up, or was somebody supposed to be with him? Or did is this a rental car? How did he rent a car with no driver's license? He did some kind of show on Sunday night. Um, one of the uh, concerts or whatever he does. I saw the... Do you have any information on that where he was on Sunday night? Because he was at some advertised event.
1: Yeah, I have, and, s- I have something here. This is from a Wrestling Inc. article by Ross Berman. It says... Okay, well, the point I was going to ask is, who was he with? Because how, by 1230,
2: did he leave the event that he was with with friends or somebody he was working for or whatever? Did nobody know His that he doesn't have a driver's license. How hard is that to figure out? What kind of condition was he in when he left them? And how by twelve thirty did he get in that fucking state by himself driving in a car in Florida with a blood alcohol level higher than what Tammy's was when she just killed this guy, allegedly.
1: Yeah, this is Tammy without the death. I mean, that's really a way to look at it, because it really could have gone wrong and You shouldn't be drinking and driving, especially when it keeps happening. Well,
2: apparently not when he was going 15 miles an hour down the road, but that was probably,
1: as it was, a red flag for somebody to call attention to him. Here, from this article, it says, Hardy had reportedly spent the previous night at the Orlando, Florida, Dave & Busters, where Hardy performed an acoustic set, as well as held photo opportunities for fans, and finally hit up the Slam Down 7 convention with various wrestling legends. All events were promoted through Glamour Under the Stars. I don't know who they are, and here's a picture from the convention of Matt and Jeff with Devon Dudley, and this was uh, posted. What, what, at, what, what, Matt Matt Hardy posted this 11:27 p.m.
2: Well, but the, when he posted doesn't mean when he took it. Devon lives in Florida, right? I believe, but so that Matt was there. What is a slam-down convention? Is that a wrestling convention or some kind of video game convention or whatever?
1: uh, Sounds like just another run-of-the-mill convention.
2: uh, But the point is, what, I guess, I'm not, I, I do not hate the Hardys. I feel bad for the Hardys. When Matt started teleporting a few years ago, you know, I kind of, eh, At that point, I had to wash my hands of it. I've always had great things to say about everybody as far as their talent and their working ability before. But goddamn, at this point now, which came first, the chicken or the egg? He's he's obviously had a problem with substances, but is it because of all of the ridiculous shit that he's done to his body? Is he medicating... Or did he start doing all the ridiculous shit to his body because he was doing the all the other shit? I don't know which came first. But at some point, a man in his mid-40s with a history of substance abuse problems and injuries and concussions and who knows what the fuck else has got to stop doing some of the things that he's been doing. And Jeff Hardy got to the point in wrestling where he was a big enough star that he does not have to randomly do swanton's on steel ring stairs as a transition spot in a match or just a way to, well, we'll get Jeff out of it. Hey, Jeff, take a swanton on the stairs. That'll give you a reason to sell for a little while. Whatever. it is, that exacerbating whatever the fuck else he's doing? And again, you know, he didn't flunk the drug test in in the WWE, and we made fun of him for that, running off one of their biggest stars for for a phantom drug test that he didn't flunk. But wh- what was his mental condition for just wandering off in the people? Was you know, and nobody said he was drunk, but how many concussions has he had? What's going on with his decision making? Can somebody? I know you know you can't be your brother's keeper, but Matt. How many is, concussions has I mean,
1: he had? I mean, that's the problem.
2: But Matt was there. <laughs> hey Jeff, you know you can't you can't get in a car and drive because you got no license. Did he sneak off? Well, you know, whose car do was it? that?
1: You said the whose big car question? was it? whose car was it?
2: There couldn't have been anybody else in the car with him, or he wouldn't have been the one driving. I'm surprised he was conscious. So what, is everybody just, okay, the show's over, and Jeff says, well, I'm going to, how can you get, what time was this convention over?
1: I don't have that information. I've been looking for that, actually.
2: Was it a nighttime thing?
1: Did, you know. Because the way this article had it, it sounded like he did the Dave and Buster stuff and then went to the convention, but that doesn't sound right. You would think the Dave and Buster's thing was the way he was ending the night at the bar, performing his acoustic Yeah, performing
2: a, yeah. I don't know which came first again, but, and I know if somebody's going to do something, they're going to do it. There's a story, you know, PG 13, Jamie Dundee, JC Ice, and Wolfie D. They came in, and Wolfie was supposed to keep an eye on Jamie so he'd get up next morning and go to the TV. And they come in from a town on Friday night, go to the hotel room and both get in bed and Wolfie wakes up fucking five o'clock in the morning to piss and Jamie ain't there. You know? So, I mean, people go and do things, but you know what? Everybody just left him alone to his own devices. Even if he wasn't intoxicated, that's the word for the week at the time that everybody last saw him. How did anybody let him get in a car when they ought to know Matt, I'm sure would know if he was there. Some people ought to know. Most people ought to know he don't have a license. He's had two DUIs, you know, before. So the point is, he's got, I think he's not only got to quit potentially drinking, but potentially punishing his body, especially like he's been, he's been doing more crazy, stupid things since he, showed up at AEW two months ago than he was doing at the WWE because they won't let you do shit like that because it's not worth the risk. Whether it was that you know, ladder dive thing he came off of or, like I said, the swanton on the stairs or there's been three or four things he's done just since he's got to AEW that... What the fuck? You're as close to 50 as you are to 40. And we've, I mean, unless he's the best seller in the history of wrestling, he
1: looks like he's in pain when he's in the ring. And again, this is not someone who had a drink too many, didn't realize they were going to hit a breathalyzer, and no one got hurt. This is now multiple times, and that's where I lose any sympathy for the person. Because it could have been a situation like the Tammy one. It could have been a family out there. It could have been a kid trying to cross the street at 1245 at night, but whatever. could have been something I was about else. To say what kind of neighborhood that kid live in, maybe. But, but, but no, the, the point is... So yeah, I got no sympathy. Like There has to be a repercussion at some point. You can't just be, okay, let him out, and then it happens again? It couldn't be at that point, like, I think I'm okay.
2: Three and a half times, it would be way past, I think I'm okay to drive. You're not okay to drive under any circumstance anyway, because you don't have a license. You're in the state of Florida, which has just gotten bad publicity on the wrestling business because of Tammy being a fucking sociopath.
1: And that's where Jimmy Uso keeps getting, I think it's Jimmy. That's where Jimmy Uso keeps getting busted too. It's in Florida. Yes. yes and, and,
2: and boy, and it certainly immediately comes to light whenever it happens because the Florida authorities, no, another wrestler here come TMZ speed dial. But that's what I'm saying is you can't drive under any circumstances. Uh, It's not a question of, well, I think I'm okay at that point. Um, It's happened before. You're in a state that's gotten bad publicity. You've just started with a new company, and even if they've botched the Hardy Boys reunion and devalued them greatly, Jeff's still a recognizable star, and and now the AEW publicity of the week is, well, this fucking guy was so drunk he could have been Goddamn preserved in pickle brine and wouldn't have been any stiffer. And he's out driving around menacing the public highways. That's, that's the company's publicity for it. Why would you, you wouldn't make that decision. If you were thinking about any of the decisions you're supposed to be making, if if he ended up someplace that he knew he might have a drink, why didn't he have his transportation covered? He's a fucking star. If he was working for somebody, I'm pretty sure they would have come and picked him up. That's one of the jobs that a lot of these unpaid assistants fight over on these indie shows and conventions is who gets to pick up their favorite wrestling star. So it's not like, oh no, I'm 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 too busy to pick up Jeff Hardy, dude. I'm I'm sitting here fucking yanking. What? You know, so he didn't plan ahead, he got someplace somehow in a car that he's going to drive, and in drinks on top of that, and then
1: whatever. So let me ask you this. What should AEW's reaction to all of this be? And should there <sighs> be any repercussions on that front? I'm sure there will be. But what is the proper thing? Is it a release? Is it a suspension? Is it another program? What should AEW do? And they're in a bad position here. They didn't do anything to be put in this position other than hire him.
2: Well, the good part about the position is that if they do have to break up the Hardy Boys, at least it's not going to cost them any money because they've already killed that fucking Golden Goose. As we've mentioned, if they were just two more guys on the card now because of this insane introduction and way that they were booked. So it's not going to cost them a fortune either way. What it has done is put shit all over their face. And now... Tony Khan is is a I know he's it's a national promotion and they're not based in Florida except that he's based in Florida but he's got a he's got a Florida fucking professional sports team and here in this state as I said that's already got the bad publicity with Tammy and and Jimmy Uso now his company gets bad publicity in what's his home state and what kind of precedent that he sets here determines what else happens in the future. What happens if Joe dipshit on his roster gets a DUI and gets bad publicity and he's well, Fuck you. You're fired. Well, you didn't fire Jeff Hardy. Well, he's a star and you're not. Well, then that guy may as well and I'll just get a fucking attorney. We're not even ready for the Stephen P. Newspot yet, but, or, you know, it's going to cause problems if he, a guy makes the newspapers, gets arrested, endangering the public, furthering the stereotypical image of all wrestlers as drunken, pilled up steroid freak bums. And in their home state, and it makes papers all over the place. And he doesn't, take some kind of punitive action then he's telling everybody else on the roster okay you can get away with it if you're at Jeff Hardy level or above in my eyes but below I'm going to do something to you you know I didn't do something to him it opens the proverbial can of peas and besides that <laughs> we know what the answer is going to be if he says hey Jeff I won't fire you go to rehab so that question has kind of been answered do we know that? Because Jeff may not have another place to go to at this point. Well, he can go home. He's not destitute. But is that he's what... He's made a fucking fuck ton of money in his life. And he and still wants
1: to do acoustic gigs
2: at Dave & Buster's. Because he's to the point now where when you get enough money and one career is winding down, if you have the... The uh, go-gettedness for it and the contacts and everything. He's wanted to be a rock and roll musician. I've never heard a single goddamn thing. I don't know whether I would like it or not. But, you know, you got to start at the bottom, but he has the money to do that. It was like Mick Foley did the comedy clubs. Uh, You know, he does still, he does shows on occasion now, but he was doing a real regular schedule here several years ago not because he needed the money but just he wanted to be keep his mind sharp it was you know from the concussions and you know he enjoyed it and that maybe Jeff wants to he doesn't need the money for Dave and Buster's but he wants to do the acoustic music or whatever the case but he needs to take care of he doesn't need to be doing the Jeff Hardy matches that he's been doing for his body. If he's going to get off of anything, he's on alcohol, any type of, you know, pain medication or, you know, fucking blood pressure, medicine, fucking cholesterol, medicine, anything he's on, he wants to get off of, it would not be conducive to that to be taking bumps off ladders through fucking tables on concrete as he's nearing 50. And therein lies the problem that a lot of guys who insist on doing this are going to have at some point is do you continue wrestling and adapt your style? Do you have the personality? Do you have the verbal ability? Do you have the the mental concept of how to adapt what you do to still stay over and give the people their money's worth, but not destroy your body. And Jeff may or may not have those things, but I haven't seen him try to change that style to do anything else.
1: So once again, what should AEW do?
2: I well, I'm saying they got to do something, but. You know, it it remains to be seen what Jeff will want to do. If I was Tony, I'd say, well, okay, now, yeah, I got to say the same thing. The only way that we can get this shit off our face from a PR standpoint, because everybody likes Jeff. The boys like him and the fans like him. He's a likable person. He's never pissed anybody off, per se,
1: that I know. And I think that's why people aren't as angry as they probably should be. Because if it was well, someone yeah. who was a complete you know, jerk to people like Cammy was for years, it's easier to... Hate them well yeah but
2: well, but then do you do you do you hate him? That's why you want him to kill himself or somebody else, or do you like him, and he hadn't pissed you off, and that's why you'd like him not to kill himself or somebody else, so whichever way you look at it, to me the th- I would say if I was Tony Jeff, everybody loves you, and you're a big star, and there's no reason to be doing the ending up in the newspaper for shit like this. And but now it's cost company bad publicity so you will like Moxley you will be the biggest baby face to everybody involved in this whole situation if you just say well obviously even if I don't have a problem with anything else I shouldn't I've got a problem with my decision making because I did shit I shouldn't have done and put myself and other people in danger so I'm voluntarily gonna go for three weeks or four weeks or however long it is to such and such place that Moxley went or anywhere else he wants to go where they can talk to me about the decisions that I made and maybe tell me whether or not they think that I have an issue with alcohol since I just got arrested out in public on the fucking highways for embalming fluid level of alcohol in my system or I got to fire you. What would you do? What if I was Tony or if I was Jeff? If you were Tony. That's what I would do. You'd <laughs> say, fire him? No, I'd say go to rehab. We will we will make you the biggest baby face in the world for addressing your issue. Everybody loves you and they're predisposed to want to be on your side and then we can bring you back. And hopefully bigger and better never and not let you goddamn fracture yourself. You
1: can't do that. Because the difference is Moxley, we never heard any stories about Moxley almost endangering someone else's life. We didn't hear really too much publicly. You know, there's always been stories, but publicly there wasn't too much until he announced he was going to rehab to get help. Jeff Hardy, if you do that, you give him the Ken Patera treatment, he comes out of prison, he's a baby face, and then he gets popped again the next day. And with him, you have to worry about that. This isn't okay, this is a blip in the radar, hopefully everything gets back to normal. There's enough instances of this where he's been caught, let alone times that he hasn't. It's hard to put faith in someone coming out of a program they may not even want to go to that they're not going to do this again. If you build him up and try to say he's back and then he gets popped again within a month, you look awful.
2: Well, you may be right, because I was thinking that this could be something that could I was thinking everybody would have a level head and Jeff would consider this. You know what? He's right. I've made myself look like a shit sandwich and I've got negative publicity on myself and everybody else. So I'll do this and everybody will like me and then I'll straighten my shit up. But without that last line, you you may be right. He might not look at it like one last chance to tell people that I'm not a fuck up. And then he might come back and, do yeah. You know, in that case, maybe Tony ought to just fire him, I guess. You've talked me into it now.
1: Well, Jim, perhaps if there had been some diligent, concerned citizen with knowledge of the mechanics of a car who could have gone out and maybe disabled Jeff Hardy's motor or taken the tires right off the car.
2: That's what could have happened. Something like that could have, could have prevented him, could have sabotaged the car and prevented him from taking that fateful trip a hero that's they would have been a hero folks I'm telling you what if there had been only somebody there with the knowledge and the ability to disable that vehicle well then Jeff could have been taken back to his hotel but then the problem would have become Brian that there would have been a derelict vehicle in the parking lot of Dave and Buster's and what would have and then it would have it would have needed a part in order to be repaired to be moved off that lot before it was towed and given to the city to smash in a (laughs) monster truck show (laughs) and that's where the folks at rockauto.com come in folks if you've got some drunken wrestlers disabled vehicle in your parking lot and you need a part for it so you can fix it and drive it the hell out of there rockauto.com has them they've also got all the parts your car or truck will ever need if you need Brake pads, if you need engine control modules, tail lamps, motor oil, new carpet, if you need a carb gasket projector, whatever you need for your car, truck, or motorized conveyance, you can find it on the online catalog known as rockauto.com. It's the only place you need to go. And they've got low prices, not only for the professionals, but the do it yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Now, some of you people, you'll probably spend twice as much later on when you get some professional to fix what you screwed up. But nevertheless, it's not rockauto.com's fault that you're an idiot. So, you can go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts they've got available. And you write JCE in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Because later on, there'll be a free gift. We're not telling you what it is or when you get it. No, no, there's no free gift. Don't promise people that. You Will can't there do be cake? Will there be cake? You and the cake. You, then you just have enough cake. Well, I need more cake. Well, anyway, just write JCE in the "How did you hear about us?" box. Anyway, but you'll be too busy giggling with giddy laughter as you open up the car and truck parts that are delivered to your door with a few easy clicks. RockAuto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com
1: That's right. Well, let's move on. Let's rock on here with the show. Jim, let's get a bunch of AEW news out of the way here at the top. I'd love to do that. One of the top international stars in AEW was recently asked about you, and I have some audio here to play. Have you been made aware of Maki Ito's comments about you? Oh, good lord, no. Seriously? Someone asked Makito about you, yes. I have
2: no idea. What uh what would that be? What would be her comments? What 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 would that be? What would that be, those comments there? Those comments. A lot of people
1: don't think it be like it is, but it do. Well, those comments be played right now. Here they are.
3: Hey, Luigi, thank you. It's with a Maki, you are uh, so cool. Thank you. Maki too is Jim Connett's favorite wrestler. <laughs> I don't think so. Jim Connett hates me. <laughs> 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 I know. <laughs> uh, but uh, maybe, maybe he likes me. Maybe. To, to love so, Maybe he's shy, so... Ah, Maki Ito is shit. Oh, something, something, something. Mm. Maybe, maybe. This is...
1: Well, Jim, there are Maki Ito's comments. Well, she cleared all that up. What do you think about the idea that you don't actually hate her, you actually love her, you're just shy? (laughs) Well, a lot of people have told me that.
2: (laughs) That I'm... (laughs) I tend to hide my feelings, sit in the corner, not express myself. I have heard that quite a few times over the course of my life and and maybe that that is it. Maybe, you know, but you know what? that That is, that is it because I've just realized here's the equation. Absence makes the heart grow fonder and the longer I go without seeing her, the more I like it. So that means that if she just stay off of television for three or four years i would just love and adore her so that's that's what it's got to be otherwise i wasn't really sure exactly what her stance on me was there one way or the other for a while
1: there well here's the question too she made an appearance a couple years ago she did her song it was one of the greatest bad segments in the history of wrestling you liked it she was on again this year and she did her song Will she be returning once a year and will it always be the same song? Will she ever get a new song? Well, she never does
2: it the same way twice though. So it, it sound even though it's the same thing it always sounds different. And and there's no there's no real key involved or and there's no note to hold. What was it somebody said she was reaching for that note like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar reaching for a dunk? So I'm I'm not sure. I don't know. But Maki, Maki Ito and I, we're, we're just going to have to be those two star-crossed crazy kids that passed in the night.
1: All right. Well, speaking of AEW news, Jim, there's been a I lot. I thought you were going to say, speaking of crazy kids, here's more AEW news. Speaking of things passing in the night, here's more AEW
2: news. <laughs> you, you know, I'll tell you one thing. There's some things. Every once in a while, you pass some things in the night. And they're still there when you wake up the next morning. You're thinking, why the fuck did that happen?
1: Well, on that topic, Jim, there's been
2: some controversy. You know, as a matter of fact, when I was a kid and I went to school, I tried out for the football team. No, you didn't. I did. The first day of practice, I showed up and the coach held a football in his hand and he held it in front of me. He said, son, do you think you can pass this? I said, hell, coach, I don't think I can swallow it.
1: All right. Well, Jim, our next topic, our next question, I can't even speak. I don't even know where to go from here. (laughs) Jim, we've received a series of questions about something that's become somewhat controversial. And I know we briefly talked about it during the AEW Dynamite review, but have you been following the chatter about the Thunder Rosa Marina Shafir match?
2: I just saw this on Twitter. Um, yesterday, I guess yesterday afternoon or whatever, people are saying that it was Thunder Rosa's fault that that match was football bat ugly, bowling shoe ugly,
1: uh, scrambled eggs. And again, when we did the review, you put all of the blame on Marina Shafir, which is one of the reasons why this story stuck out to me so much. Someone named Eric who apparently is a former Ring of Honor wrestler, Eric I Stevens. saw it.
2: Eric Stevens. I, Eric Stevens was in Ring of Honor when I went there in 2009. And I thought he was a young man then. I thought he was very good. Adam Pierce was high on him. And he, uh, I'm trying to think he was a bigger kid. And then he, he uh, uh, dropped some weight and got in good shape or whatever the fuck. But, I I mean, you know, he was a nice kid, and I can't remember. I don't even know that we finished him up. Something happened, but he went away. Maybe we couldn't afford to fly him in from wherever he was, and he was coming from Florida. I don't fucking know. I think maybe he quit the business for quite a while. And then suddenly, um, I saw, you know, that Eric Stevens, former Ring of Honor wrestler, says... Thunder Rosa was sandbagging. Well, I've seen it, and there was a quote from him. This is the most blatant example I've ever seen. If you've got the quotes, go ahead.
1: I've got the quotes on Twitter, and there's an interesting fact about these quotes, I'm not sure if you saw, but he tweeted out after that match, It's been a long time since I've seen a match where somebody so obviously tried to make themselves look better than their opponent by sandbagging and no-selling, but I just saw a perfect example of it on Dynamite. It might just look like a bad match to the untrained eye, <laughs> but it's pretty clear when somebody doesn't want to play ball, which sucks because it just makes you and your opponent look bad. The tweet, I believe the first tweet was liked by both Britt Baker and Marina Shafir. ho! Oh, so there apparently there is a controversy in the locker room. And then if you remember, there was an incident a long while back before she was let go with Leese and Thunder Rosa, where people said Leese wasn't cooperating with Thunderosa. Rosa. Leese. Oh is,
2: yeah, re- remember? We saw she was just sitting there and combing her hair in a hold and shit. Well, Eva has
1: tweeted out, I truly wholeheartedly appreciate all the recent Leese was right statements. <clears throat> hits the soul in ways you could never imagine. So, again, the fact that Britt Baker and the opponent in the match, Marina Shafir, liked that tweet from a wrestler who you have to think has friends in the locker room and knows what he's talking about with some of these people. Well, well, hold on. Hold on here, cowboy.
2: I think he's got one friend in the locker room. I think he's friends with Marina Shafir and andor or Roderick Strong, because Eric knows Roddy from Ring of Honor and they all live in Florida, or at least that's believe that's where Eric used to live. But. I, I, I'm sorry. And apologies to Eric Stevens, you know, but no, dude, no. To, to use a phrase that the young kids do, dude, no, it wasn't Sand. And remember, I mentioned with Marina Shafir being married or involved with Roderick Strong. How in the world is she not any smoother than that? And this is not the first time we have seen a Marina Shafir match where we said, "Ooh, what's going on there?" I know she was a shooter. She was part of the Four women with Ronda Rousey, etc. But she's not a smooth pro wrestler, at least in the times that we've seen her. And with one of the better girls in the ring, or in the on the roster, with AEW, Thunder Rosa. But as you'll recall, I pointed out... <sighs> Rose is trying to take these bumps, but she don't know where she's going because she's getting jerked and pulled and it wasn't smooth. And sometimes you don't get what the fuck the other person is trying to do. And, or you get kind of frustrated with it and just say, well, fuck, I'm going down somewhere. But there was no purposeful. I'm going to make you look like shit. It is a stinky fucking match. And at the, at, The worst we can say style clash, which I think is what Jim Ross said. And I think Jim Ross has probably seen a few more matches than Eric Stevens too. I don't know, you know, what Eric is doing these days, but I'm not sure that he's high in demand for training seminars and sessions where he knows everything about wrestling.
1: Let me ask you this, as a promoter, as a booker, as someone who'd be running the locker room, you can't stop someone who's not working there from tweeting something like this out without taking any sides. Personally, do you have any problem with a Britt Baker or Marina Shafir liking that tweet? Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing Marina Shafir can like
2: whatever she wants because she was mentioned, right? And people think, okay, well, somebody take it up for her because that way it's not all her fault. But when Britt Baker likes it, I can't even believe I'm saying this now. Like, you know, 40 years ago, it would be somebody, some stooge in a locker room said, hey, so-and-so in the heel side just said this about, it. he did, and they'd just fucking meet in the parking lot and settle it. But now they're liking shit on Twitter. What Britt Baker has done now is tell Thunder Rosa that she thinks publicly, concurs publicly that Thunder Rosa was trying to make her opponent looked bad instead of it just being a bad match. Cause her opponent wasn't very good. So now there, I would think there would be a little subliminal underlying heat between Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker. And now it's not just Marina Shafir, Schaefer, whichever, who is not really going to mean anything in the overall scheme of the women's roster in AEW. But now it's Britt Baker the top female star since the start and Thunder Rosa, one of the best workers and who is, uh, you know, been decorated with a number of things since she's been there. So why would you do that? Don't like it on Twitter. What Britt Baker ought to do if well, if anybody was still in the wrestling business, if Britt Baker was, upset enough about the situation or convinced that Thunder Rosa was in the wrong about the situation bad enough to say it or agree with it out in public in front of the fans that unless this is a work and Rosa and Britt are going to be doing a program, then Britt Baker should have gone to Thunder Rosa first and said, Hey, what happened? She's my friend. And it didn't turn out. And then Thunder Rosa could have told her and then they could have hashed it out.
1: I didn't even put two and two together. It's Adam Cole's girlfriend and Roderick Strong's wife. Oh, shit. Well, there you go. And
2: <laughs> so, again, this is what guys would have just had a fight about and got over in the old days, but without anybody being embarrassed in front of the fans. But now they like other people's tweets on Twitter knocking this person. Hey, fuck. But no, I'm sorry if we Whatever Eric Stevens has been doing for the last 10 or 12 years since I've seen him, it hasn't been training wrestling at a high level. And I'm sorry that his friend had a bad match, but it wasn't Thunder Rosa's fault. She was, she was trying to go over for that snap mare. She just didn't know how long it
1: would take to get there. Well, Jim, another topic that a lot of listeners have been sending in questions and audio about is Jay Slingblade White winning the IWGP Heavyweight Championship recently. He did? He did. Good for him. And he cut a promo, and a lot of people have wanted to hear what you think of this promo, because we haven't really heard him talk too much, and we have heard people rave about his promos. So I have a clip here of him post-match, backstage. Sadly, it's the Bullet Club behind him, so it makes it a little lamer than it would be otherwise. Well, but I can't see that, so I won't hold that against him. Well, let's play a little bit of this audio, give you a sample of Jay White on the mic, and hear what you think.
4: I what like that mess me? that goes to you as well, hangman. You think you're the shit now because you had to run off, have your friends create a new company for you because you could shine there because you couldn't fucking shine here. You want me to remind you? Singles action. Two. Oh, to the mother motherfucking switchblade. And that zero is never going to change. Never. And Adam Cole. Congratulations on the Owen high Invitational Championship, buddy. Very, very proud of you. We got Forbidden Door coming up, boys. Whoa. Whoa. Nutter, Whoa. We have any thoughts on that nutter? Let's throw it. Let's throw it to Bullet Club. Any thoughts on Forbidden Door, boys?
5: Is anybody from AEW anywhere near the Switchblades level? Answer yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> ah. Is anybody in AEW near the good? See, right now, it's Carl
1: Anderson talking, which right away brings us down several notches. Let me try to go back to where Jay White's actually the one doing the talking. Here Ta- we go. See if we can get it where he catches his breath.
4: Well, let's throw Kenny in there. Nothing personal against Kenny. But if we go back a little history lesson, I took that IWGP, United States Championship, from him. And then what did he do? He left. This is why I say I'm the catalyst of professional wrestling, because without me, you don't even get AEW. Everything you've all come to enjoy and love and cherish over the past few years, you don't have without me. Because without me beating Kenny Omega, maybe he doesn't run away. Maybe he doesn't run away and take his success and fame with the Young Bucks and create all elite wrestling. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. If he doesn't do that, you get no unscripted violence. You get no shocking return of Brian Danielson. You get no long-awaited return of CM Punk. You get no heartwarming, long-awaited triumph for Hangman Page. You get no Brick Baker, DMD. They would still be here because they were here before, but you motherfuckers... You were nothing before. That's why you had to run off, because without me, there's also no, hey, maybe no Adam Cole, baby. He'd still be sitting somewhere else, wasting away. So, A.W. fans, wrestlers, all of you, you are welcome.
1: Well, there it is, Jay White. Well? Any thoughts on that?
2: Obviously, this is right after the match, apparently, because he's blowed up, right? Yes. Okay. At the first part of it, with the fact that he's blowed up and he's got the accent, and I know for for the, my fans across the pond, no, I'm the one with the accent, he's talking normally, but you know what, I'm with the accent, he's blowed up and he was yelling already into it. It was a little herky-jerky trying to follow at the start. After you skipped ahead, after Anderson had, had his piece and he had a little bit more breath to him, uh, the accent is not as bad because he was slowed down. Just He was trying to go so fast at the start. He slowed down a little bit. He's got great passion, and he's got great emotion. I would try. I, you know, I did the high-pitched. You know, what was it, uh, Paul, you say Mickey Mouse on, on amphetamines? But I was the Weasley manager. If he's the world champion of their, their organization, I'd try to. Bring the screeching down just a little bit. You can yell like a Stan Hansen, but you don't have to sound like you're calling the hogs. Uh, So bring it down a little bit. He pauses every couple of words and puts a period in it. I assume that may be also because of his cardio condition after just having worked. I like his oomph, and I like his passion for it. I don't know if I would be screaming at the top of my lungs while blowed up. And at the same time, going up an octave or two, all at the same time. And the I guess this is Japan, so they can say fuck and motherfuck, and that was off-putting. It threw me off. Um, and I know somebody now is going to say, worried about fuck. No, I'm not worried about the language, but judging a promo, do what you can do on television. And that's what they can do over there, but he can't do it over here. So he might not ought to, should get in that uh in that habit because he's either going to get cut a lot on pre-tapes or he's gonna get yelled at on a live show one of these days. And, you know, so I think there's there's plenty of potential and passion there. And it's probably not the best example of his promos because he's just had some kind of long-winded match. But uh, again, what Here's the thing, when did you ever, in 40-something years, how many promos have you, wrestling promos, in a wrestling context, involved with a promotion, have you ever seen me do where I cussed? I'm guessing if you did, maybe in Ring of Honor, but I can't remember for sure. And, well, in... I would sneak it in 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 WDC in, in TBS or on TBS working for Crockett with the Paul Lee promo was when I told my mother that, uh, you know, she was going to get the attorneys to handle it. I said, mama, you're going to have to get over it. Cause it's about damn time. I do something on my own. You could slip in dams and hells and things if you made it good. And in ring of honor, even in, you know, with their television, obviously, you know, I may have, uh, Put in an ass, and as an OVW commentator, I would often call, "Well, that no good, miserable prick." But could you get you guys damn it on here in Louisville? I think I slipped it in once or twice. Um, I may have, I may have once or twice, and and I was the one that did it, so I would take the heat if there was any heat in trying to register my disgust over something really heinous. But in in three hundred episodes, I may have done once or once or twice. I don't know that we put the word shit in three hundred episodes of o- Ohio Valley Wrestling Television. I know we never said it in two hundred episodes of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. We never said it in the WWF, and we never said it in WCW. But now the girls get the the miscellaneous girl crew gets to say it in AEW, so it has no shock value anymore. But anyway, that was that was my constructive criticism. But yeah, I wouldn't if I was those guys, I wouldn't get used to the fucks and the motherfuckers in Japan because it'll come back to bite them later on. And I mean, you know, in the old days, on live studio wrestling, you can imagine how many guys in the wrestling business their favorite word was fuck or motherfucker. But in all uh, I can't I can only remember scant few times where anybody slipped and said anything in all those thousands and thousands of hours of studio wrestling in various little local stations around the world. And one of them but Dundee and Gorgeous George Jr. in Memphis were having a program, and George is out there doing a promo with Lance Russell. It's like nineteen seventy eight, I believe it was. And gorgeous George Jr. says, and that Bill Dundee, he's nothing but a little chicken shit worm. And as soon as he said that, Lance Russell immediately grabbed the, pulled the microphone away and stuck it in his jacket pocket. He was so <laughs> by And at the same time, because I remember seeing this, I believe I have the audio tape. As a matter of fact, they had bleeped it by the time it came to Louisville.
1: What year was it? Was this before the split or after the split? Okay. After the
2: split, they were on Channel 5, and it went live in Memphis. Uh, You heard the word chicken shit. And at the same time as Lance pulled the microphone and stuck it in his pocket, this was the greatest thing I've ever seen. Gorgeous George Jr. turned from the fucking heel wrestler into Aunt B from Mayberry. As soon as the words came out of his mouth, he realized what he'd said. His eyes got wild, and he put his hand over his mouth and went, "Oop!" <laughs> <laughs> and the people in the studio already started laughing. And then here came Dundee to do whatever he was going to do. But I saw so they got calls. The people called, picked up their telephone, and called the Channel Five switchboard to complain about Gorgeous George Junior. using the word chicken shit. And they had to have Lance apologize for the language. Was the house up? No, no. I mean, that made no impact at all whatsoever on the angle uh, or on, the you know, anybody, whether they were going to buy a ticket or not. It And if you use a curse word, except if it's in already the, the most major main event angle between two of the guys that are most over and the hottest thing in the company, it's not going to make any difference anyway. Some people will remember the promo, but just one curse word is not going to make a difference. But that was the thing is that heels could not get away with that at all. And you had to really be careful. Baby faces. The people wouldn't call and complain because they, yeah, he deserves it. I mean, you couldn't. The, the general manager of the station, if you said fuck, would have shut it down. But if something slipped, they the people wouldn't complain about the baby faces. But if the heels said anything out of the way, they'd get calls out there. They got calls on me. When do you remember in 1983 the Russians shot down an airplane? Of course. Okay. Well, that was at the point where I was getting very little television time. I was Jimmy Hart's assistant manager which meant when they were in Louisville I went to Osceola Arkansas when they were in Lexington Kentucky I was in Batesville Mississippi whatever and I would go out with Jimmy and the group and just hang around but when Hart was at ringside during a match then I might go over and say something to Lance or whatever so just so they'd remember what my voice sounded like right because I was still trying to get over so they bring Jerry Novak the bounty hunter in and they because Jerry was from oh god damn it it <laughs> somewhere in the world he he wasn't Hungarian maybe he was Czechoslovakian or maybe like Nikolai Volkov he was whatever he spoke Russian and so instead of just being the bounty hunter again they they because he's six feet four and he's three hundred pounds and he's fucking huge and they put a mask on him and made him the Russian invader. And so they're having the match and the Russian invaders doing whatever, beating up the job guy in the ring. And Jimmy's at ringside. He's cheering him on. (laughs) And I go over and this had just made the news about the Russian shooting down the airplane. I said, see there, Lance, he's the Russian invader. If he can't get him in the ring, he'll get him in the air. (laughs) And and so then after the show, Lawler comes calls me. I said, what did you say? I said, well, when? Whatever you said, I said, oh, you can't get him in the ring; you'll get him in the air. He's, yeah, people complained. Uh, we think maybe don't come to TV next week. <laughs> wow! And then within within two or three weeks, I was on the way to Louisiana, anyways. So I, you know, but it uh, just depends. You know, sometimes you don't even have to cuss. But I have actually, I've been the cause of more. Television studio uh line crossing without ever uttering a curse word or a, a dirty word than probably anybody in wrestling.
1: Well, Jim, our next question sent to corny Drive Thru at gmail.com from Jeremy in Minneapolis. A wrestling card for a WWE Sunday house show at the Hard Rock Edis Arena. Oh what? I didn't realize they were still using Edis there. Okay. Very cool. The Hard Rock Edis Arena capacity... I haven't heard of Edis.
2: I've heard of Hard Rock, but not Edis.
1: Mark Edis, funny enough, he worked for Donald Trump. And when Trump was making all of his deals in Atlantic City, Mark Edis and another guy whose name I forget died in a helicopter crash. So in what was formerly the Taj Mahal, the arena where they would do boxing, MMA, I'm guessing wrestling here, that was the Mark Edis Arena. So after that's Trump... in Minneapolis? No, that's in Atlantic City. At we the just former... said it was in Minneapolis. I said the email's from Minneapolis. Oh, well, how does he know what's going on in Atlantic City? Well, here's his question talking about this card August 14th. Here's the card as announced The Usos versus the New Day. Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch versus Ashley. A S H U L E. That's how they spelled it. What instead Who of is- o- instead of Oscar, it says Ashley. Okay, and this is the one I like. In the main event, <laughs> in the main event, Cody Rhodes versus Seth Franklin <laughs>
5: Rollins.
1: <laughs> Franklin Rollins.
2: That that's his new name. That is his new name. Some websites. Seth- Franklin
1: Rollins. Some websites are charging as much as $58 for bad tickets, ranging up to $858 for front row. What? That's what he says here. I don't know how true that is. I'm not calling him a liar or anything, but here are his questions. Have you ever seen a wrestling card or poster where there were very clearly spelling errors on the card? (laughs) Have you ever had to deal with a local ring announcer that clearly didn't know who you were and severely botched your name? And three, it says, why does Bruce Prichard continue to book the same matches that we've already seen over and over? I don't know if you can blame Bruce for that.
2: Well, what else are he going to do? they got the same wrestlers we've seen over and over. Oh, my God. Well, first of all, I mean, Brian, as an old newsletter collector from the 70s and 80s when the newsletters would reprint all the wrestling ads from the territories around the country and as a collector of programs and and newspaper clippings and things from back in time it's always been hilarious to see some of the the local people, the Oshkosh B try to spell all these fucking weird wrestlers names, especially when you got into the, the Russians or the foreign menaces or, or whatever, but I mean, it's uh, uh, through time from the 30s till now. Remember the famous poster that (laughs) Dennis Corluzzo did for one of the Eddie Gilbert Memorial. The first one. Brawls, the first one. (laughs) And one of the big stars, the big main events was Jerry the King Lawler. And the poster people (laughs) made him Jerry thinking Lawler. (laughs) 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 He was. So I guess he had the fucking, you know, brilliant genius gimmick. And there, I mean, there's some ridiculous misspellings and, you know, because a lot of times I know for a fact, I've seen this done in those days, there was no email and there was no texting and, you know, you couldn't just mail something to a newspaper if it was timely. So one of the jobs of the local promoters in every wrestling territory was to call the newspaper ad for that week's show into the newspaper. And Christine Jarrett used to do it for Louisville. And depending on, uh, Guy Coffey would call in the the results for the Memphis paper, but depending on the intelligence level of the person at the newspaper answering the phone, and it could be a crapshoot, especially when you're calling the night desk, as they used to call it, to give wrestling results, but also, depending on how easy it was to understand the person that was making the call, the promoter, the, Jack, what was that famous line, Jack Pfeffer? This week for you, I got the great new sensation, Babalinikov. How do you spell that? Uh, B-A-B-B-O-B-A-B-A. Ah, fuck it, don't book him. You know, so you would get these weird, you know varieties of people's names and as far as local ring announcers yes all the time even if sometimes they were the regulars like we've made fun of bruisers ring announcer in the late 70s bob beach he couldn't pronounce anything he had replaced a guy oh my god when i first started watching what was his name tom something dave dynasty is going to know this but he was real smooth and had a radio voice, and then this older guy wore these, you know, flashy uh, jackets. And I think his son was one of the referees, so he was probably a friend of Bruisers or Snyders or Minikers, somebody in town in Indy. And he couldn't he introduced Dominic Denucci as Domica Dumanche, and he couldn't read any of the towns. We had a guy in Smoky Mountain that introduced. I told you this: the gangsters. Were New Jack and Mustafa Said from South Central Louisiana? Because he didn't know LA was the abbreviation for Los
1: Angeles. Who was the ring announcer for that clash? I want to say it was early 1989, the one who the Russian Assassins had a match, and he had the card in front of him, and obviously he didn't know what he was reading, and he said, Here, here is from Kilos, Russia, with a combined weight of 160 pounds, the Russian Assassins. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Because if they were supposed to give their weight in kilos and I I don't know whatever the, I don't know what the fuck I'm, I'm trying to think where was that? God damn it. It, I don't know. Every once in a while you would, you would be stuck with a local announcer and you got what you got, even though if you tried to go over it with them. Right. And sometimes you wouldn't know to go over the pronunciation of the word cat with this particular fellow.
1: And then you'd be surprised afterwards. Well, Jim, if you're someone writing the wrong names of wrestlers down on cards, maybe you're the problem. Maybe you need some help. Maybe you're having some issues. Maybe you need to work through them and talk to someone. Maybe you can call someone right now.
2: Oh, for heaven's sake, now don't persecute and and belittle our aspiring fantasy bookers out there. At least they're not going to be like Tony Khan and actually put it on television. But, you know, Tony Khan, Brian, is exhibiting already some of the signs of burnout. Because he's not just fantasy booking, he's doing it in reality for a lot of things, a lot of places, and he's got a lot of other responsibilities, you can get burned out. And if you out there have ever felt burnt out, whether you're working too much, not taking enough time for yourself, burnout and life itself can be overwhelming. You can be burned out without even knowing it. Symptoms can be lack of motivation, irritability, fatigue, all the things that I experience on a daily basis. But while we associate burnout with work, that's not the only cause. Any of our roles in life can lead us to feel burnt out, and BetterHelp wants to remind you to prioritize yourself, and talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing the stress in your life. So, that's the idea. BetterHelp is customized online therapy. They offer video, phone sessions, even live chat with your therapist, so you don't have to see anybody on camera if you don't want to. You definitely don't have to go out in public. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. You can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. And our listeners here on the program get 10% off their first month's services just for trying it out if you go to BetterHelp.com slash J-C-E. That's BetterHelp.com slash J-C-E, BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 10% off your first month's services. Give them a try and see if that can lead you to, instead of being burnt out, being lit on fire once again and ready to go full of piss and vinegar. Well, I guess you really wouldn't want to be full of piss and vinegar. Why is that a saying that they used to say that people would want to aspire to be that way, full of piss and vinegar? I don't know. Well, what good are you then, if you don't know the answers to any of my questions?
1: Well, Jim, as we are recording the drive through here, and we've been talking about the latest stories in wrestling, one of them is actually still transpiring, or news of it is still disseminating, or being disseminated out as we speak. As we are recording, the front page story, the lead story on TMZ, is Jeff Hardy, DUI arrest video, three officers pulled guns on wrestler during stop. You've had a chance to look this over, and of course the accompanying video, correct? Well, yes,
2: we took a slight break when when this broke. And apparently, whatever I read at first was correct about the time of day that he was arrested. This was nine-something in the morning that he had a blood alcohol level three and a half times the legal limit in broad daylight. This wasn't like in the middle of the night when you're under cover of darkness. There's nobody on the road. I may can get by with this. It was almost 10 o'clock in the fucking morning. And they apparently got three or four different 911 calls about a dangerous driver, which is why that not only one, but three police, uh, three policemen, three cops pulled him over because he'd been reported already by innocent
1: bystanders. Yeah, here's the article, Jim, uh, as reported by TMZ. Three officers were apparently so concerned about the state of Jeff Hardy after they pulled him over on Monday morning, they each drew their guns and pointed them at the AEW star. The frightening scene was all captured on police video, obtained by TMZ Sports, just before the 44-year-old wrestler was arrested in Volusia County for DUI by the Florida Highway Patrol. In the footage, you can see... After cops stopped Hardy's white Dodge Charger on a freeway, after they said it had been swerving all over the road and driving erratically, they walked to his car and appeared to shout orders at him through his closed windows. Hardy, though, seemingly didn't comply, which caused each officer on the scene to pull out their firearm. Fortunately, Hardy eventually opened his car door without issue and the officers were able to get him out of his vehicle without incident.
2: And let's let's hold on. Let's stop there and say it you could see him they they were saying like open the door and he didn't want to open the door so they pulled their guns and I'm just thinking at that point he had to know well, you know, I'm not making a move. They probably won't shoot me because I'm white, but as soon as I open this door I'm going to jail. So he was probably taking his last 30 seconds or a minute to go ah fuck.
1: In the footage you can see Hardy wearing a Jacksonville Jaguars t-shirt was not steady on his feet. Will you stop?
2: No, I'm not I'm not laughing at I'm not laughing at Jeff Hardy's misfortune. I'm laughing at how much worse can this be for Tony Khan if on yeah. the back of the Jaguar shirt it said Tony Khan wanks dogs. That's the only way it could have been any fucking worse for.
1: Uh, wearing a Jacksonville Jaguars t-shirt, was not steady on his feet, and mumbled and whispered responses to the officers. During questioning, Hardy appeared to admit to drinking shots of Fireball before getting behind the wheel. It's fucking that early in the morning? Once again, we'll say this right now, it was 9.54 a.m. that they officially arrested him, so I guess it would have been a little bit before that that they pulled him over here.
2: Yeah. Yeah, probably about. Well, it's the video. They not they pulled him over on the side of the road. Then they took him to a parking lot off the side of the busy highway because they couldn't hear him. And I guess he was. Well, I don't guess because I saw it on video. He was unsteady. I guess they were afraid he was going to fall out into the street.
1: So it took a while. And as it says here, eventually officers took Hardy away from the busy highway into a nearby parking lot to perform field sobriety tests. Hardy, though, stumbled through each test, and after several minutes, an officer slapped cuffs on the wrestling star and told him he was under arrest for the offense of DUI. In police documents, officers say they tested Hardy's BAC through a breathalyzer back at the station and claim he blew a .291 and a .294. Hardy bonded out of jail late Monday evening but was ultimately according to court records hit with three charges including felony DUI as well as two misdemeanors he's due in court for a hearing in the case later Tuesday afternoon
2: well now um i got to be honest with you uh, i've already seen something on some the internet somewhere uh that that was canceled so I have no idea. I, I don't know what the fuck's going on. But uh but that early in the morning um <sighs> Jesus Christ, you know I, I don't know what else to say that we didn't say earlier. just this this makes it even worse. He drove apparently from North Carolina, I guess he was by himself,
1: because Matt wasn't in the car at this point. Well, let me just clarify, because you just said that. The officers ask him, and it is hard to hear him at times because of the cars going by on the highway, and the officer actually has the mic on him. Plus, Jeff isn't speaking loudly, but he asks Jeff where he's coming from, and Jeff says North Carolina. And then he asks him where his destination is, and Jeff again says North Carolina. So whatever we read about earlier, Dave and Buster's, the convention where we saw pictures... He didn't mention any of that. It was just I came from North Carolina and I will return to North Carolina.
2: Yeah, and that sounds kabuki-ish as fuck. Where where are you coming from, North Carolina? Where's your final destination, North Carolina? See, so you bopped through Florida on your way from Raleigh to Charlotte. And and he obviously wasn't in condition to be more forthcoming with details that might make that sound a little less fucking shady. They've got they've got his license plate. Blurred on the video, so I can't tell whether it's a North Carolina plate or not. But if he's telling them he he came from North Carolina and his final destination is to go back there because that's where he lives, I, I don't know whether he's in his own car or not. Oh shit! I see why they drew their guns as I take another look at the front of this video. When he, well, they they've drawn him. Two cops walk up to the car, one on either side. They've drawn the guns, and he's not in park yet. And all of a sudden, the car starts moving ahead, and you see the cops think they're about to have to tackle this, but he's he stops again, and I think he was trying to put it in park. But that's why both of them are on the driver's side, and they weren't real gentle when they finally got him to open the door and pulled him out of the car. And he's lucky
1: it's daytime and he's white. He would have been shot. Yeah. car yeah. just starts rolling away when the cops are there. They... Yeah. Jeez. It wasn't moving fast, though. But anyway,
2: uh, uh, whether he drove to North Carolina, whether he got a car down, how did he get a car? Who let him get a car? Who let him be wandering around on the highways at nine o'clock in the morning? Pickled. It just... I mean, if, they, if if there was enough, if he was out there long enough and went far enough that there were four different people that called nine one, that took it upon themselves to call nine one one, because how many times have you been driving down the road and you see some knucklehead just doing stupid shit? But this had to be attention grabbing enough that I'm going to call nine one one, and I don't know anybody here. Multiple. I people. I don't have a dog yeah. in this fight. Multiple people. That's. So I mean, you know the only thing this is the this is Tammy again, the only thing is that he hadn't hit anybody else yet.
1: Mm. Does the video getting out now make it I don't know if the easier is the right word, but does it make it more obvious that Tony Khan has to immediately cut bait or what do you think?
2: Why would they? Well, he could have fucking taken out a goddamn billboard on the side of I ninety five. Hey, Jacksonville Jaguars! I work for them, and also drink and drive. He's wearing the fucking team shirt. It's like, here, Tony, open your mouth a little further so I can piss in it without standing up and aiming. What else are you gonna do at this point?
1: Well, if any other Jeff Hardy news happens as we're recording, I'll break in and let you know. But why don't we lighten up the mood for a minute here? I have a program in front of me, Jim, that I received. I got a program here. I know how to make you happy. I got a program here, big boy. I actually am not sure what year it is. And I could look it up, and I can go find it. But I figured, why not just talk to you about it? We'll figure it out on the air live. Sounds like a good deal to me. So this is Tuesday, March 25th, wrestling news from Louisville, Kentucky, the Armory. Oh. Devoted to wrestling, the only year-around sport. So I'll read you the card, which is spread across several pages. The first main bout, one hour, two out of three falls. Is that the first bout listed? Let me just double check that. Yep. The first main bout, one hour, two out of three falls. Chief Little Eagle, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 222 pounds, versus Jerry Atkins, 220 pounds, Canada. In a special attraction main bout number two, two out of three falls, Miss Penny Banner, 146 pounds, St. Louis, Missouri, versus Miss Jessica Rogers, 142 pounds, Chicago, Illinois. And finally, the main bout, one hour, two out of three falls, Corsica Joe and Corsica Jean versus the Mighty Atlas and Joe Scarpa. And the promoter is Wee Willie Davis. The uh, state commissioners are Bernard Bax, Francis Bauman, and Reed Miller. And of course, the box office are the McDonough's. The announcer is George Lewis. Try to see what other clues are in here to the year. George Lewis was
2: the longtime ring announcer going back to the the days of Haywood Allen and the Allen Athletic Club. And the McDonough's doing the box office, Francis McDonough was Haywood Allen's assistant that took over the promotion when Haywood Allen. Uh, retired and Francis McDonough passed away in 1956, whereupon I'm sure his wife or son or kids, whatever, still work the box office there. Well, Wee
1: Willie Davis, go ahead. And let me, then I got to make this announcement. You're right there. The box office is Betty McDonough and Ray McDonough. Okay. And Wee Willie Davis
2: took over the local promotion briefly as it turned out uh by he established a local uh company called the goldenrod athletic club because we willie davis not only was a famous wrestler he was one of the guys had the tug of war with mighty joe young in the movie he was six fucking seven or eight or nine and 300 something pounds back in those days but also he was a an expert on flowers and had been on, what was it? The $64,000 question or one of the game shows in the fifties. that was his, maybe it was his, I've got a secret because he was a, a flower expert. So he named it the Goldenrod athletic club. And he tried to promote on his own for a little while. And then started being more of the figurehead local promoter for Barnett's Indianapolis office. So having said that, since he was listed as the promoter, since this was a small card with not a lot of the major stars of the Indianapolis office, but that's probably where he got the talent, Penny Banner, although St. Louis may have been involved there also, the Corsica brothers, probably were in Tennessee at that point. So I would say he didn't have Indianapolis hadn't taken over completely at this time. I would say this would be, and you're not going to be able to tell me because you don't know. Although I can tell you how we can find out. Yeah, there's more clues here. uh, Well, I'm going to say this already. I can tell you this could be 1957 or 58, I think, because it would be early on in his run. And.
1: Go ahead, uh, what were you going to say? Give me more clips. Yeah, yeah, a few things, because one of them surprised me that it was in here because it threw me off with one of the other things, but just a few notes from the program. The injured list continued from last week's program. Leo the Lion Newman, known to Louisville fans, will never wrestle again due to a car accident and route to a wrestling match. He later became a top manager. That's right. Carried by AP News last Friday in your newspaper report, Bulldog Danny Pletius and his tag team partner Kurt Von Poppenheim injured in a car accident en route to Denver, Colorado from Albuquerque, New Mexico to take part in a wrestling bout. Reports say not serious, and both should be back in action very soon. Champion Dick Hutton is referenced here, so Dick Hutton's the NWA champion. Okay. This is what threw me off, because of Hutton being there as the NWA champion and then seeing this at this point. Football players go to wrestling. Alex Karras, University of Iowa's twice-all-American, signed $25,000 Pro-Mat Pact as wrestler with Pinky George, Des Moines sports promoter, to wrestle six months out of the year, as he is the number one draft choice of the Detroit Lions pro football team. That's a sentence there, okay. Also of Greek descent, hopes to fill Jim Londis' shoes by becoming world (laughs) champion. And then it goes into some history there. But I think just, I didn't realize Alex Karras' name would have been there so early, actually. Well, you didn't, well, see,
2: that's how that they got the idea for the the deal with Bruiser in Detroit in what, 1962? Right, several years later, yeah. Because they knew that he'd been trained, because he was a hotshot college football name, and Pinky George had... Signed him to an early contract and given him some training, but it it didn't pan out. Uh, I don't think he liked it, nor was he necessarily very good at it. And stuck with football, but then when he was playing in Detroit, and Bruiser was hot, and they had the idea, and there you go. And it didn't work out well, and Karis, I don't think, did any more wrestling. But Dick Hutton being the champion, that would be 1957, wouldn't
1: it? Yeah, Gene Kaninsky. The Canadian Avalanche, one of, if not the top money earner last year, being an eager beaver, says he can beat, this is written so weird, says he can (laughs) beat two former world champions in one hour in St. Louis, March 28th. They are Bill Longson and Whipper Watson.
2: Wow, that's interesting. Wow, they were pushing Kineski, two of the biggest names of all time, the biggest draws of all time in a handicap match against
1: one new kid. And they're building him up for a match against Dick Hutton. And again, the fact that there's so much St. Louis heavy stuff in here, you picked up on it early. It seems like St. Louis is really involved here.
2: Yeah, well, a lot of the Louisville talent came from St. Louis or uh, the Nashville booking office, even through the days of the Allen Athletic Club and into Francis McDonough running the show. But that's why it was kind of a, a shift when when Francis McDonough and a lot of this I've gotten from John Cosper's incredible research. And he just did, we're going to talk about it on the experience this week. He did a revamped 10th anniversary edition of bluegrass brawlers with twice as much information on oh. Louisville wrestling history.
1: Nice. Very
2: good. Um, but the point is Barnett kind of snuck in and took, uh, Louisville and kind of did the same thing with Indianapolis, which Sean Delaney has been doing that great research in, uh, on Evansville for his 400 Court Street podcast. But a lot of the talent in Louisville and Evansville came from the St. Louis office until the late 50s and Barnett started annexing things. And sometimes the local promoter had to be changed and or run out of the picture. In Louisville, it was easier because the guy died. But yes, this was still St. Louis influence. And also, I mean, all respect to Penny Banner and Corsica Joe and Corsica Jean. but. this was not a big card, and the the glory days of Louisville wrestling kind of ended with Francis McDonough's death, and then Barnett really was never able to make Louisville a go. They didn't consider it a priority. It didn't get big cards. TV was jerked around a lot. We had Chicago TV for a while, but that's finally why that they pulled out and it went dark after 1965 or so. and. Jarrett was able to revitalize things in
1: 1970. For the listeners out there who don't know of them, what can you say about the Corsica brothers? Um, I didn't actually get to see
2: them in their prime. Um, Corsica Joe was more famous in modern-era Tennessee wrestling for being the guy who you know, sat back in the back at the Nashville Fairgrounds. He was married to Sarah Lee, the female wrestler. And she helped Christine Jarrett sell tickets. And Corsica Joe was the guy that sat back and watched the back door. But the Corsican brothers, especially in the Tennessee territory, but they'd worked Florida, they'd worked Texas, you know, the Midwest in the 50s all over the country. Uh, But for 15 or 20 years, they were a very highly sought after team. And they drew tons of money in Tennessee with Don and Al Green and the Von Brauners and some of the, you know, mass tag teams like, you know, the Infernos, they were, Oh God damn it. Where were they from? It wasn't, they were French, but it was like a French, well, Corsica, of course, but they were of French descent for real. And, uh, so they, they're, I think, uh, God damn was there was Joe's real last name was something like petite, you know, like that. But anyway, not too much about their wrestling career, but he was a nice old man and he was like eighty. They did an angle with him on Memphis t v with him and somebody I can't remember who I was gone by then, and of course, Corsica Jean was later murdered. He had a bar in Florida that's right, that's right. I forgot about that. um, somebody came in and and knocked the place over and shot him so that just proves it's better to. Watch the back door instead of run a bar. All right, I guess that's a way to look at it. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure you're at 1957 there, by all accounts. But John Cosper would—he's done this research. We can ask him. He'll probably weigh in on the. He found the date of the card that my dad went to to write a story on it for the Courier Journal in the late 30s. Oh wow! It's in the newest edition. It, there was a, there were two promoters in Louisville. And one of them was promoting at one of the uh, theaters, which that sounds crazy, but this was the 1930s. And the armory, the convention center, later the Louisville Gardens, was the only sports arena in town. They did a lot of wrestling early in the 20th century at uh, the Buckingham Theater here and the Gaiety and the Savoy. There were theaters that could seat a couple thousand people. Well, anyway, one of the promoters was running the theater. One of the promoters was running the armory, but it was getting on warm weather and there was no air conditioning. So they did outdoor matches at a place called Swiss Park. And my dad was in the promotions department working in the office for the Courier-Journal. And he always wanted to write for the paper. And so they milked him. They assigned him, okay, go write a review of the wrestling matches. And he takes his wife at the time, his first wife, And this was 1938 and goes down to Swiss park and sits down and said, boy, it's an awful sparse crowd. And then the ring announcer, the same person you mentioned just came out and said, ladies and gentlemen, due to the sparse turnout, the event tonight has been canceled. Watch the newspaper (laughs) for, for the date of the next match. Thank you. Refunds at the box office. And he gets up, he's like, well, there ain't no justice. So he, he wrote an article on the for the paper on the wrestling matches about not getting to write an article for the paper about the wrestling matches and i found that in one of his army trunks years after i got interested in wrestling and you know and and i put that in um the rags paper and pens book but i showed it to cosper and come to find out that was the rival promoter swan song. They canceled never rescheduled. And it was the end of his line. So.
1: Cornets and figured in wrestling in Louisville back to the thirties. You found that article that your dad wrote by happenstance or was it something that you were told your dad once wrote something about wrestling? No, I, I just found it in, in his stuff. And I was like, <laughs> he went to the wrestling and
2: I knew it was the late thirties because of, you know, things that were on the clipping that he didn't really clip it out. He just tore it out. And it was, I knew it was the late thirties just by evidence, but I couldn't, had no frame of reference until Cosper's done all this research.
1: Well, Jim, our next question sent the corny drive through at gmail.com from John fell in Baltimore
2: on a pre oh, wait a minute. Is he trying to work a program now with Charlie from
1: Starkville? Well, I've been meaning to tell you about the new book by John Fell in Baltimore. It's called I Fell All Over the Place, and I Keep Falling and Falling and Falling. <laughs> well, let's see uh, what his question is here on a previous drive through Someone asked about local promoters wanting their top guy as the NWA world champion. Since the formation of the NWA, what promoter was able to get the most top guys in their territory a run as champion? Not one wrestler multiple times, but multiple wrestlers. I was wondering if it was Eddie Graham with two, Jack Briscoe and Dusty Rhodes. What do
2: you think? Well, that's interesting. Let's go down the list for a second, because when you think about it, some of these guys were recommended for the title by promoters they had worked with in the past, even though they weren't necessarily in their territory at that time. They were, you know, was Dusty in Florida when he when he won it? And he, he was when he won it in 81, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Eddie Graham was obviously his biggest backer as well. But the thing is, a lot of times, Dory Funk Sr. had pull and a vote and a highly sought after opinion for the nwa champion but besides dory and terry even though he might have voted for he i'm sure was probably voting for harley race but harley wasn't technically in the amarillo territory but let's go down the list Thez was was first because of the way that things worked out with orville brown And that was pre-territory day. Thez was just the guy. Everybody pretty much universally would have done that. And then Thez picked his own successor in Hutton. So that was nobody's uh, first choice. Uh, Carpentier doesn't really count because the the switch didn't take. And to be honest... um, As we talked about here on one of the shows recently, I can't remember which one it was, Carpentier's promoter is the one that nixed the deal. It was... uh, Eddie Quinn. uh, Eddie Quinn in Montreal said, wait a minute, I'm going to lose him. And I'm not going to get paid what I thought I was going to get paid, blah, blah, blah. So then we go to Pat O'Connor. And you can say that was a Sam Muchnick, but I'm sure a lot of people were... Behind O'Connor. Then we go to Buddy Rogers, and that was, again, he's the biggest (laughs) drawing card in the fucking business. So it's not like it's a difficult decision, but Vince McMahon had more part to play in Rogers losing it than getting it. What were you going to say?
1: I was going to say it was the first time and last time they let Vince McMahon Sr. have a say in who the
5: (laughs) WWE champion was going to be.
1: And it was the end of Fred Kohler. Yeah, there you go. Um, but at the
2: same time that it, it wasn't a stretch to put the belt on Rogers, the biggest draw in the business. The question was, you know, then it it they didn't know ahead of time that Vince was going to monopolize him and try to take him away, etc.
1: No, of course Rogers could have been NWA champion at any point in the previous twelve years.
2: Right. Except Thez wouldn't let him because Tes was pissed <laughs> off that he knocked Strangler Lewis. So that Yeah, again, boy, that's whether you like him or not, or whatever you think about Luthez, he had some fucking balls, and he had a lot of people, uh, a lot of people's respect. No, this guy may be the biggest draw in the business, but he can't beat me, and I ain't gonna let him because he insulted my friend. So fuck him. He'll wait twelve years for the NWA title. So then we go to from the. And we'll I'm also not to gonna fans. lose the burn. You get that out of your mind as well. Yeah. <laughs> You, you keep Vern's name out of your mouth. Uh, we go back from Rogers to Thez because they had to make sure the switch went appropriately. Then we go to Kanisky And Kineski, uh, what we just talked about here on a previous question, and and they were pushing him in St. Louis over two of the biggest draws in the history of the business. And the handicap matches in those days weren't two against one. They were you wrestle one, beat him, and then you wrestle the other one. And you got to win, you have to beat both guys in an hour. But still, that was unheard of to put Longson and Watson in a position like that. Koniski had drawn mega money for Verne in the Midwest. He'd drawn money in Canada because of his football uh, credentials and name. So whoever voted for him, it wasn't like, it was a hometown decision from one guy's territory. Then we go to Dory Funk Jr. And that was Dory Funk Sr. Because Yeah, he didn't want to let go either. Well, and Dory again turned out to be one of the longest running NWA champions of the modern era and drew mega houses not on his... I don't think anybody will accuse Dory of having a fireball personality. But he was such a solid, impeccable in-ring worker with the timing and the work, and everybody was you're safe. And Dory, when did you ever hear of Dory Funk Jr. getting hurt in the ring? When did you ever hear of anybody getting hurt in the ring with Dory Funk Jr. and Senior? He was the firstborn son. Senior had enough pull because of he had trained or influenced or helped out almost every major promoter and name in the business. He was thought of as a genius. Dory was good enough. He probably at that time, I never got to see Dory in the sixties in his formative days before he won the title in 69. But he was, he was not the champion that drew money because he came to town. He was the champion that drew money because the champion came to town and he was the mechanic that could, could be the champion
1: how much did it also help being able to send terry in before him well yeah and then you know you send
2: terry in to set up the which they did uh, in in reverse to a lesser extent when terry won the title and dory would sometimes come in first but mainly that was terry's job i'm not my brother's policeman was the wrestling magazine headline but terry would come in they'd work a deal or terry and dory senior would come in they'd work some kind of deal establish the funk name, somebody would surpass the funks, and then they'd get the title shot with Dory. And that worked well for four years. But again, Dory was a major star, but it wasn't like Flair or Hogan or The Rock being the champion where that name drew. In those days, the champion drew, and the the local challenger was what put it over the top at the box office as to whether the people thought he could beat the champion. Dory was perfect for that. Perfect modern day NWA champion. As was Jack Briscoe. Now, and here's the thing also, it's not like that Eddie Graham was necessarily going to turn a funk down to be champion because the funks second home territory was Florida. And Dory ended up moving there. So I'm sure Eddie Graham was behind Dory, but it was obviously Dory Sr. that started that ball rolling. With Jack Briscoe,
1: it was all Eddie Graham. Go ahead. And that's what makes those dynamics right around there so interesting, because Eddie Graham had always been, I'm going to use the word cahoots, although not necessarily in an evil way, but it has always been in cahoots with Dory Funk Sr., you know, going way back. Well, because Funk
2: Sr. helped train Eddie Graham and teach him booking and things and such of that nature.
1: That's right. So they're always working well together. Dory Funk Jr. is always in Florida. And then, and again, it's shortly after everything happens in Atlanta, where the NWA really unites to defeat an opposing promotion, that the battle happens where they say Dory Jr. is hurt. The Funk say he's hurt on a tr- in a tractor accident and no it was the pickup truck the pickup truck and Turned eddie truck graham over. had his guy briscoe ready for that title they've been building it up and he thought he got screwed by the funks there yeah you know jack briscoe never beat dory funk jr for the belt that's what everything had been building up to so that's why there was considerable consternation and
2: we should back up and put obviously harley for the three months in between dory jr yeah. and briscoe but it, we've uh we're going to cover Harley, but Harley in that position, we'll cover Harley later with his regular runs. He was never meant to get this. Harley in that position was the guy that could do the serviceable work that needed to be done and get it from Dory. And there was going to be no, there were going to be no question one way or the other, the funks respected Harley race, but Harley was going to win that match regardless. And then he would turn drop it to Jack Briscoe. So nobody, had to push for Harley in that spot at that time. But later on when he got another more lengthy run and then the other runs, well, not only was Sam Muchnick obviously behind him, he'd used Harley for years, but Harley was a partner in the central States territory and et cetera. But also, um, I'm pretty sure Eddie Graham had no problem with Harley either. And he had done a bunch of work in Florida. So, it's it's kind of an Eddie, but it's not. Eddie Graham was solely responsible for the project that became Jack Briscoe. He saw him early and groomed him and built him. The other, the, Harley then again, and then, you know, after
1: Harley, besides the... The problem becomes then you got three guys all vying for the title with promoters pushing them. You have Dusty being pushed by Eddie Graham. You have Flair being pushed by Crockett. And right. you still have people, including in St. Louis, talking about DiBiase. DiBiase,
2: and this doesn't even count the uh, the favor to Barnett for Tommy Rich for a week, or you know Harley cashed in for from Baba <laughs> for whatever. But but with Dusty Flair and DiBiase, you've got again you've got Crockett, and probably Sam Muchnick. Um, you know he was using Flair in St. Louis, and DiBiase would have been more of a guy that Muchnick would have liked, but. Dusty had the tremendous track record in Florida, even though he wasn't a traditional, you know, type of NWA champion. So that would have been an eddy. And then, you know, then after that, it kind of got broken up. And by that point, there were not enough territories. Crockett was calling pretty much all the shots by 84, 85.
1: Do you think an extended Dusty Rhodes title run could have worked?
2: eighty one? No, no, I don't think so. Because Dusty was so over at that point that he overshadowed the local guys. You couldn't sell a ticket to see your local hero come and, a, and beat a guy that was more popular in his own hometown than he was. And everybody just went batshit when Dusty Rhodes showed up. So nobody would have wanted to see him lose. And that wasn't the way the whole thing was set up at that point in time. So, in maybe in New York, it would have been better because they were used to a babyface long term champion. But if the territories had, and in 80, 81, 82, 83, they were all doing great business, most of them. Um, but if if Dusty had been a champion for a couple of years, he would have had to work exclusively with heels and that may have hurt all the other top babyfaces in the various territories roads to the top no pun intended i mean if that would have been the wwf model yeah applied to the territories they started lawler's march to the to the world title when he was a heel in memphis but he was a hometown guy and he was starting to get that buzz. And then later they just carried it over when he became a baby face. And, but if, if the world champion, when he came into town, had been more popular than Jerry Lawler, there wouldn't have been a chase. And it would have been the same every time, you know, when Briscoe was chasing Funk Jr. in Florida, Briscoe was the babyface; Funk Jr. was the somewhat subtle heel. Um, you know, it it just it wouldn't have worked that way. I don't think for Dusty to be champ, he would have drawn the first time around everywhere because everybody wanted to see him. But then, unless you had hot heels lined up for him, and every and then people would come to see Dusty Rhodes fight the heel. They wouldn't come to see Dusty Rhodes lose the title of the heel. And I don't know if they would have wanted to see. I mean, especially in some of the smaller territories, the top babyface. You know, if if suddenly he's matched with Dusty Rhodes, people would have been like, you know, fuck, we wish we had Dusty here all the time.
1: How do you think it would have worked out if Bruno had taken the deal in, what was it, 67? When was Bruno offered the run with the NWA title? 66. 66. How would that have worked? Would he have gone into some of these
2: towns as a heel? It wouldn't have. No, see, (laughs) here's the thing. They wanted the match for New York, because they could have, they could have drawn a fortune with that. And they also, when you say the match, it. you're
1: talking Bruno versus Thez,
2: Bruno versus Thez. That's why in Thez's book, they had the meeting with Tootsmont and Vince senior and the whole nine yards. And it would have helped the, the Northeast because they had stadiums that they could have, you know, had that match in and the publicity, it would have drawn, you know, a a six-figure gate at minimum, blah, blah, blah. But the deal they pitched was they wanted Bruno to win the first one and have the belt for a year or whatever, and then, of course, then he would (laughs) return the favor. I don't know. I'm not saying Bruno would have gone back on his word, but Vince McMahon Sr. would have made sure that that rematch probably didn't take place. But the reason it didn't happen because Thez said, I want a hundred thousand dollars or some ridiculous amount of money to lose the match. And that ended those discussions and oh. much Nick was,
1: was fucking pissed at Thez, according to what Thez said. Yeah. And the Bruno side of the story is Bruno said, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go work more days. Well, but that was the thing
2: also is there's wasn't going to put Bruno over and Bruno didn't want the schedule they neither one really w- wanted to do the thing, but the promoters wanted it much. Dick wanted to get in. I think in New York, have some presence in New York or whatever. And he could see the, the record gate. Um, obviously Vince senior wanted Bruno to be the biggest star in the business. And it would have been at that point in time, the biggest match that you could put together in wrestling. but, Bruno was making pretty much as much money as Thez was, but only working in the big major Northeastern town, still lived in Pittsburgh and was home more often and had a sweetheart deal where he called even by that point, a lot of his shots and Thez, not only was he still of the old time mindset. I'm going to get paid to do a job for this guy in public, but also, of uh, You know, I don't think... I mean, everybody said, well, Bruno was younger and he was so strong. Yeah, but Bruno never trained in shoot wrestling. So Thez would not have probably had an issue with Bruno doing something to at least make sure Bruno didn't beat him. But Thez wanted paid more than they wanted to pay. And he, because he had heat with Toots Mont from the 30s, (laughs) and didn't like Tootsmont and thought they were all thieves. And Bruno, I'm sure, would have been willing to go along with it if, it if the match had been made, but didn't really want the schedule. So it never happened.
1: Do you think Bruno would have been starting his day with a healthy breakfast? Well, he should have. I'm sure, you know, Bruno stayed in great
2: health his entire life. He worked out constantly. You got to know that Bruno Sammartino watched his carbs. Except for the pasta every once in a while at a celebratory dinner. But Bruno Sammartino was not the kind of guy to get up and just start gnawing on sausage links and pig byproduct. Oh, no. And things with fat and grease and gristle in it. No. Bruno would get up and he would put stuff in his physique and his anatomy and his physiognomy and his biology. (laughs) that would keep that thing running like the well-oiled Italian machine that it was. And that's why if they'd have had Magic Spoon back then in the 60s, Bruno would have eaten it. But unfortunately for all you people who used to like cereal, you remember when you were a kid? That's the kind of shit they made back then, with sugar and carbs and junk and chemicals and additives and preservatives. Well, nothing's preserving this stuff. You got to eat it quick or it'll rot. But while you eat it, it's good for you zero grams of sugar 13 to 14 grams of protein and only four net grams of carbs in each serving except for the honey nut which has one gram of sugar but boy it's worth it 140 calories a serving because it's keto friendly gluten-free grain-free soy-free and low carbon you can build your own box i think they've snuck a few new flavors in on us folks Cocoa, Fruity, Frosted, Peanut Butter, Cookies and Cream, Maple, Waffle, Blueberry Muffin, Cinnamon Roll, and Honey Nut. And they've just brought back the cereal bars that were popular a while back. They milked you, and then they took them off sale. Now they brought them back permanently for an on-the-go companion for your cereal or a quick meal that you can pull out of your pocket. You know, I love food that you can just pull out of the ass pocket of your jeans and just start gnawing on folks right now go to magicspoon.com slash gym and grab that custom bundle use the promo code Jim at checkout you'll save five dollars off this stuff is so tasty so colorful so magical it's all sunshine and lollipops and rainbows and waterfalls and incense and peppermints and everything you'll like and if you don't like it They've got a 100% happiness guarantee. They'll give you your money back and not ask you a single question, except how do you want it? Small non-sequential serial numbers? That's what they'll say. Magicspoon.com slash Jim. Use the code Jim to save $5 off and get a big heaping, helping a slurpin of Magic Spoon. Notice I didn't say snort. I said slurp.
1: Well, Jim, let's go from magic spoon to a magical wrestling hold. This next question was sent to Cordy Drive-Thru at gmail.com from Kevin. When I was younger, my first exposure to wrestling was... So much f- younger than today? My first I bet he never needed anybody's help in any way. My first exposure to wrestling was the first episode of WWF SmackDown. I remember The Rock being as over as God in church. <laughs> and The People's Elbow being cooler than The Sacrament. It was not until later in life that I heard an interview with Triple H where he mocked the move for being hokey. Hunter further explained that The Rock came up with the move to pop The Undertaker in the ring. Up until that interview, I never considered how ridiculous the finisher was for a wrestling match. Yeah. Jim, what were your thoughts on The People's Elbow and the other veterans... Uh, okay, there's a, that's a question mark after that. I don't know why it's like that. And the other
2: veterans' thoughts, I guess.
1: Um, How did people feel taking it? And also, what are other moves comparable to the people's elbow in terms of being less than practical but over with the crowd?
2: Well, Dusty's flip-flop and fly. I mean... Yeah. That's not as
1: ridiculous. The people's elbow may be the all-time most ridiculous.
2: Well, but I don't know. Remember when Dusty used to have the the horseman's lineup and he'd have one, two, three, one, two, three (laughs) with the elbow and then do the three Stooges (laughs) slap and the people go out of their minds. The classic example, and I've used it and it remains true, is Steve Austin stomp a mud hole in somebody. The only person that could get away with doing that was Steve Austin because he was he was over like God in church. They, the stomps looked like shit. There, there's been... Think of every really major attraction in wrestling, and there's been something screwy that they have done that nobody else could get away with, that people would laugh at. I mean, before the people laughed at wrestling on purpose. Now they, you know, they like shit they laugh at or whatever, but I'm talking about when people didn't laugh at wrestling. There the main event guys, 90% of them would do something that nobody else could get away with but because they were so over. People couldn't see it. They were blind to it. They got into it. And yes, Rock the elbow thing that was preposterous and it was a throwaway thing. And I don't, I didn't remember whether he specifically did it to pop the undertaker, but the people went crazy. And then every time you do something, they go crazy. Well, you do it again. And he had got to the point where they would buy that. But can you imagine if, I don't know, name any other wrestler, if they had done that and they weren't over like the rock was at that point, the guy down there would be like, I'm not going to lay here for fucking 20 seconds while you crisscross the ring twice. It's ridiculous. Like I said, this is one of those things they do it now. But at that point in time, the other guy would have said, no, I ain't going to fucking be there because it makes me look like an idiot. Until The Rock did it and fucking place blows because The Rock was bulletproof and could do no wrong. And then they go, okay, I'm making more money than I ever made in my life working with The Rock, so I'll lay here for 20 seconds. But that was a concern to people in those days because it didn't make a lot of sense. But the I say they do it now, they all do it now, and nobody thinks anything about it. That's because all these guys grew up watching wrestling from 20 years ago, but nobody was there to tell them, yeah, see what that guy just did? Don't do that. Because you can't get away with it. So now they all just do shit like that, whether they're over or not. And now nobody... Th- That's why every week there's some... part of some program that I saved... 30 years ago there to be a fight in the locker room. Try to get the guy to go along with that. Now he was wholeheartedly into it. Because they don't know how to get or keep themselves over anymore. They just watched the shit on TV and they imitate that without knowing that there were certain parameters that you followed. Like only one person in a million needs to be doing shit like that. But that's what we all thought of the Brock's help. <laughs> it is ridiculous. And nobody was going to lay there for Scott Taylor to do that. I don't think. Well, then he got the worm.
1: Uh, I don't know why this is making me think of it do you remember when it was one of those raw anniversary shows and it had nothing so it's like oh let's get Steve Austin back to kill the McMahons and it gave all four McMahons a stunner and they all laid in the ring just dead for minutes was that the one where Linda's was
2: just like suddenly her legs turned into (laughs) liquid and she just crumbled like the Wicked Witch melting into the ground under her hat yes that was exactly the one Oh, and you know, and I was going to bring this up on the program today. Yeah, thank you for. I'm glad that you remember that. Wicked witch melting
1: under her. (laughs) Is that just? (laughs) She didn't go
2: anywhere. She suddenly disappeared, and her head was swimming in a pool of liquid on the mat. But somebody, I was going to bring this up on this show, and then we got sidetracked. But talking about moves that look preposterous, and i I've never seen anybody get away with this one really. But it's a modern thing. Somebody, several people have asked me on Twitter and once by email in the last few weeks, Jim, I'm lost. I don't understand what you mean when you say so-and-so, this piece of shit, did a head-palm shoot-off. I thought a head-palm shoot-off was about as descriptive and obvious as I could be. But apparently it's not because several people have not figured it out. When you grab, not grab is too strong a word. When you lay your hand on the back of another grown adult 250-pound man's head and wave your hand in the direction of the ropes and they take off and go and hit the ropes and come back. Now, I know a lot of people have said, well, I see a problem with wrestling is if you shot somebody into the ropes, they wouldn't come back. Well, that's true. As they would come part of the way back, I can testify to it, if a motherfucker is strong enough and green enough shoot you to the ropes, you'll come part of the way back without try, but you'll, you could stop yourself if you wanted to. But if an arm whip is performed in any way r- correctly, it looks like there's the basis there that you're doing something. But when you just grab another grown man, again, grab too strong a word, and just go that way, And they take off running. I think back again to the way that guys used to learn was veterans would put the fucking brakes on. I've told you a story. Ernie Ladd was upset with Dr. Death one time, getting too aggressive and too anxious and not listening. And he just put him in the corner and held the top ropes, turned his back to Doc and looked at him and said, now when you're ready to calm down and listen, we'll continue. Uh, one time, Bobby Eaton is working with Big Bill Dromo, who is a baby face. Big Bill Dromo's like 6'3, 6'4, 260 pounds. And there's Bobby's a smaller heel. And Bobby's getting the heat on him. And Bill Dromo's easy to work with, whatever. Bobby grabs him, goes to run his head in a turnbuckle. And all of a sudden, <clears throat> Dromo stops short. And Bobby tries again, he can't do it. Dromo's standing there looking at him. Dromo said, I'm a big man, use two hands. So Bobby reaches up and grabs him by the hair with both hands and runs his head in a turnbuckle and Dromo flies. Nobody puts the brakes on anymore in any of these matches. Nobody corrects the rookie on the spot and says, what the fuck are you doing? I'm a grown man. Do it this way. They just go with whatever. But even as a manager, if I'd have been in a match nobody ever tried, because I never saw this before five years ago, but if somebody had just put their hand on my head and directed me to run to the ropes and let me go, I would have kept going and just left the ring. (laughs) What the fuck? It's not in any way visually plausible. It looks stupid. It's a shortcut. You're a lazy worker. You're a lazy worker if the big move that you want to do to the guy coming off the ropes is so big that you can't bother to send him in with any kind of velocity in an appropriate manner, so it makes the business look phony, it makes your match look phony, and it makes the egghead that took that head palm shoot off look like a complete dip shit. Otherwise, than that it's fine. What was the question? There was no question you decided to talk about the head-palm shoot-off. Well, good. Now I've discussed that, and everybody knows what it is and why you shouldn't fucking do it, because it looks fucking stupid.
1: All right. Well, let's get another question here, Jim. This one was sent to Corny drive at gmail.com from David in Glasgow, Kentucky.
2: Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're not in Scotland. You're in Kentucky. That means it's Glasgow. I'm not in either places, thank goodness. I'm
1: in New Jersey. But here's his question.
2: That's the first time I've ever heard those English words come out of somebody's mouth. Thank God I'm in New Jersey.
1: Well, I'm in the Garden part of the Garden State, but here's the question from David. At the beginning of the main event of AWA Super Sunday 1983, between Hulk Hogan and AWA champion Nick Bockwinkle, the play-by-play announcer says that Due to Bockwinkle's expensive booking fee, they were forced to raise the price of chicken for the event. What? What? Did Vern actually do that? Did he really price gouge chicken at the concession stand and blame it on Bockwinkle's booking fee? I know you weren't there, but is that something that a promoter would commonly do? Do you know of other instances of promoters taking advantage of fans like that and using kayfabe to cover it up? <laughs> I've never heard that.
2: I've heard the ticket prices being raised. We could talk about that, and that was a common thing, but never the price of chicken at the concession stand? Was, it, was the sponsor uh, fucking KFC, Mrs. Winters, Bojangles?
1: Churches. The fact the announcer had to say it on the air, we understand that people have been upset about it's because of Bachwinkle at his booking (laughs) fee, not because Vern needs a
2: boat. But wait a minute! Now here's the thing that Vern doesn't get the fucking money from the concession stand at a major arena anyway. What would this was the big Hogan Bachwinkle match? Where a Super Sunday was that at the Met Center in Minneapolis or where was that? So yeah, no, he don't get shit from the concession stand at the Met Center. I don't, maybe the, maybe it was, was it, was it one of, uh, Lee, Lee Marshall or one of Vern's jolly joker announcers that was just ribbing somebody. Maybe they, before they did the show, Heenan was complaining about the price of the fucking chicken or so. I don't know. I, I, there were, there is, and what, well, there used to be, there's not anymore again, but there used to be championship prices and it made it. Not only more sporting like, but you could also increase your gate. When the when the champion, the world champion, would come to town, they would say championship prices are in effect in some territories, and they'd raise the tickets a dollar or two dollars across the board because of the large guarantee that had to be paid to the world champion to get him to come, which was in effect true. Yeah, it was the NWA and, tax. Yeah. And, and they would raise prices on the tickets for that show because the champion was there. And in, in certain places they did it, certain places they didn't. The better run, uh, more professional territories could get away with it. The weekly territories, it was hard to Jared only did it a time or two, but, uh, I remember Dutch Mantell, when they let Dutch start booking Florida after Eddie Graham had died, (laughs) he drew a, A house in some place where they got the people record, but they didn't have the money record. He said, how come? Oh, well, we ran the show with raised prices. He'd never been a booker before. He said, well, goddamn, you didn't tell me we could raise the prices. What were you going to say?
1: Hogan Bachwinkle was St. Paul, St. Paul Civic Center.
2: Okay, same thing. St. Paul Civic Center ain't giving Vern a cut of the chicken fingers at the concession stand. (laughs) <laughs> Seth, Seth Franklin Rollins I don't know what to say
1: <laughs> I kind of want it to be true just because it's such a great story but I don't even remember the commentator saying that I have to go back and check that out now but Jim let's get another question here this one was sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from David Robertson Joliet Illinois what did wrestlers typically do when they retire for money I'm sure most didn't make enough to live off for the rest of their lives. Was there a particular line of work that attracted them? Was it hard for them to adjust to a normal life? Any weird jobs that you know of? Thank you for your time
2: Well i mean that's all over the place because think how many thousands of wrestlers there've been um and i mean i've I've heard or scene of guys having every kind of job in the world from selling used cars or you know being a security guard to bail bonds to uh, David Schultz became a bounty hunter um Furpo became a mailman Pampiro Furpo worked for the post office for years and years and years And I'm, I'm, but uh, now don't just assume that no wrestlers just retired. A a number of wrestlers have retired and been just fine. You didn't see, you know, Bruno Sammartino working as a fucking usher down at the local movie theater after his wrestling days were done. And if you know some, (laughs) it didn't have to be the guys that were the most successful either, because some guys weren't main event superstars that made a ton of money, but made a decent amount of money in wrestling and then bought a business and ran the business, you know, after that. And other times, you know, guys made a five bloody fortunes and, you know, pissed it all away. That goes back to Strangler Lewis for God's sake, or any major movie star from the silent era, you know? So it's, that's all over the place. But a lot of times guys got jobs that, you know, big fucking guys uh, you know would be predisposed to get the uh the bouncers and the bail bondsmen's and the you know the the people who push other people around type of thing that's was a low level entry level job but it's it's all over the page from the penthouse to the outhouse i've got to figure out one of these days i guess i might have to get a job sooner or later
1: really what would you do what would you like to? i don't have, have any a goddamn idea um, I'm guessing keep you away from the public would be a good start. Well, that probably, be
2: for the public, that would be a good thing. You know, like I've said, if, besides wrestling, I, if I had never been involved in wrestling, I would have ended up writing something somehow, whether it had been for books, magazines, newspapers, reporting, whatever. And the only other thing I really thought of after I got the wrestling business was at some point I'd like to done radio because I guess that's kind of what we're doing now. And otherwise now I've had a lot of interests as hobbies, but nothing that I ever said, I want to do, I want to start a business and do this every day of my life, the rest of my life for, for a living. I've never really had any fallback plan. One of these days I'm going to need one. I can see it coming. By the time I'm 80, I may need something to occupy my time.
1: Well, Jim, we have some breaking news. Oh, boy.
2: Again? He broke out. He escaped. He's on the run in a
1: white Ford Bronco. Tony Khan has issued a statement, or AEW, I guess, on behalf of Tony Khan, has issued a statement about Jeff Hardy. Here it is. We were able to resume contact with Jeff Hardy this afternoon.
2: Wait a minute, has this been translated from another language? That sounds like one of those tweets from New Japan where they run it through the translator. Sounds
1: awkward and unwieldy, unwieldy unwieldily worded. Go ahead. We were able to resume contact with Jeff Hardy this afternoon. AEW does not condone Jeff's alleged behavior. We've made it clear to Jeff that we'll assist him in getting treatment for substance abuse issues which he has indicated that he is open to receiving. Okay. In the interim, he is suspended without pay and he could only return to AEW upon successfully completing treatment and maintaining his sobriety. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to SAMSHA. I don't want to get this wrong. S A M H S A's national helpline 1-800-662-HELP. Signed, Tony Khan, President and CEO, All Elite Wrestling. Well, that's probably the most professionally
2: that he's handled anything yet. So good for Tony and good for Jeff to be being open for it at this point. It's probably how he got asked also. I can see Tony Khan asking somebody to do something more nicely than John Laurinaitis.
1: I just have to see, was there a previous statement? The fact that they began the statement with, we were able to resume contact with Jeff Hardy. As if there was a previous one that said, we have nothing to say because we have no contact with Jeff Hardy. I don't know. But at least he finished strong. Tony did. All right, well, that I think concludes the Jeff Hardy news from today's episode. So let's get back to the grappling. And I understand Monday Night Raw aired last night. Oh, boy. And I understand I watched some of it, and I have no memory of any <laughs> of it. I have no memory of any of it. And I le- explain it like you explained it
2: to me. So, Jim, I watched Raw last night. I went to sleep about 10.30, so I saw the first two and a half hours, but when I woke up, I can't remember anything that happened. That's the way you said it to me. But it will probably come
1: back to me when you start talking about it as yeah, well. Yeah, well,
2: I ain't going to go into too much detail. Again, boy, howdy! This is a three-hour program that could be the meat of the matter could be condensed into 15 minutes, and you wouldn't miss anything. And a couple of things I watched under false pretenses, if you may recall, the first segment was Ms. TV, and normally I skip Ms. TV, but they opened up. There's Paulie. Paul Heyman already sitting in the ring for Ms. TV. So I said, I'm going to watch Ms. TV for Paul Heyman, right? Anything, any
1: of this coming back to you? Do you remember Paul's jowls being out there? I do remember now this segment and I can also see you saying, you know, I want to watch Paulie chew up the scenery. Yes.
2: Well, he didn't get a chance to take a bite. Because Paulie he introduced himself, and they got with that. He, Paul's becoming a babyface, because they just love to say his name and shit on the introduction. But then Miz did a long monologue about money in the bank and the cash-in process, like he's done twice, and put himself over endlessly. And I just jotted down, will Paulie ever get to speak? And that's when Miz pitches to him with, the winner of the money in the bank will cash in on Roman reigns. And Paul says, and they will fail. And then Paul, he took over. He did for him. This was nothing for anybody else. It'd been a great piece of business, but for him is you lackluster because he didn't get very long and he, but he has the great facials and the reactions and the delivery. But as soon as he said a few things, and talking about Roman reigns, here comes riddle music, and I'm, oh, all Christ here come goof comes out and does goof shit, and calls Paul a horse's ass um Miz was pissed at the interruption of the 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 show there. I was pissed that we didn't get to hear more of Paul and instead, why couldn't Riddle have come out and interrupted Miz? Have you noticed Heyman reminds me of John Taffer? What? Have you noticed that? Why? Because of a hair dye? Well, no, <laughs> actually, yeah. Paul's hair was not that fucking midnight black when he was 23 <laughs> years old. Our lightning bugs are following him around in the daytime with hair that dark. It's, it's I mean, you you could fall into his hair and disappear. It's got its own gravitational pull. It's so black, uh, but <clears throat> he reminds me of John Taffer because he gets that, that, smile on his face when he's browbeating somebody and dressing them down. You don't want to look bad in front of your whole family, do you now? <laughs> but anyway, so this Friday night, it's going to be Riddle against Roman Reigns on SmackDown. Either they're setting up for something good to happen with somebody else with Roman Reigns, or this is a, a program we're going to have to watch between Riddle and Roman?
1: I think so. I think Riddle's one of the guys that they seem to really like. A lot of guys are out. They don't have a lot of inventory right now. (laughs) So you kind of have to go with what you have. And he is over with the fans there. I mean, we don't really like his goofiness, but the fans like him. And out of all the people there, what are your other options? Do something with one of the New Day members again? Ooh, you may be right.
2: (laughs) One of the guys that. There's a guy named Adam revolver worked for OVW for a long time. When I went back briefly about 10 years ago on Danny Davis asked me, please come and try to just help this show. Right. He was in a bad spot at that particular point. And I came in and I watched the first show and Adam revolver said to me, I was explaining that. I was like, what the fuck can we do with this? And he said, well, you don't go to war with the army you want. You go to war with the army you have. I said, in that case, point me toward the white flag. <laughs> anyway, Riddle fired up a little bit. <laughs> what, what, it wasn't that. Well, how did he react
1: to that? I mean, just no one's no one gets that line thrown back in their face when they say that. He got
2: kind of he got kind of <laughs> used to me after a while. I you know anyway, <laughs> Riddle fired up on the promo. If everything about him from his the way he speaks to the way he dresses to the the mannerisms that he has to the giraffes and unicorns flying out of his ass everything is so goofy he's got some oomph this is the first time I actually heard him speak like he was pissed off about something he might be and I know he was a shoot fighter so he might be believable if he didn't have this Persona. I assume that they didn't give him this persona on purpose because who would have ever thought of this and why would you do it on purpose if you did? So this must be him. But if he wasn't such a goddamn goof, I can see where you might have something. But basically, the stipulation is on Friday night on SmackDown, at least they're crossing over now. Can you imagine if they weren't putting some of these people on both shows? How Much we would see of some of them. The stipulation is, if he wins, he's the champion. But if he loses, he'll never get another title shot. So I'm hoping for a quick defeat of Riddle on Friday. And then Paul says, and let me introduce you to the Usos. And here come the Usos. But here come the Street Profits. What a shock. The only other team on the whole show that we see every week but instead of interacting with Riddle, so out of this, Riddle didn't take advantage of being in the ring with the manager, uh, who was unprotected, and do anything to Paul because Paul can't take a fucking bump anyway. My God, can you imagine if he if he busted open the the fucking saturated fat content All right. alone would kill? All
1: right. Will you stop it? If he busted open, that's what's going to happen. If he
2: takes a bump, he's going to... If he gonna... took a bump and busted <laughs> open, and all the fucking saturated fat and
1: monosudium glutamate came out and sprayed all over everybody. I guess WWE's next step would be like a trauma Films kind of run there. <laughs>
2: and then the Usos, can't beat up Riddle because the Street Profits come down, and they got to... So they had a single match with one of the Usos against Montez Ford, and just nothing happened with Riddle after the stipulation was announced. And, and we got after that match. That was the first 30 minutes of the show.
1: So, and that's kind of where I started checking out. I hate to say it, but the street profits, as soon as they come out, I feel like I've seen whatever this is going to be. I've seen it yeah. every week.
2: We've seen one versus the other and the other one versus the other one. And both of them versus both of them and back and forth. Um, the one of the best the best thing of the first hour of the show was probably the uh, Cody package of the gutsy performance. Everybody putting him over, and then the recap of Seth Franklin Rollins jumping him and <laughs> beating the piss out of him with sledgehammer last week. That was great. And again, they're if they can keep doing this, they're going to keep Cody over and him uh, keep him in people's minds. But then Seth Franklin did a sit down backstage who is the
1: stagey british announcer that's uh nigel that's not nigel mcginnis no not nigel mcginnis but nigel or simon or oliver i forget what his name is Well, whatever it is he has the the
2: the emotion of a fucking chair leg i mean it just he says these stilted The accent sounds nice. You always sound like you're a little smarter if you got the British accent, but it's just without any emotion. So Seth has no remorse because Cody is a virus plaguing the WWE since WrestleMania. Boy, I wish every pandemic only lasted two months. You got to make unpopular decisions, Seth says. Take matters in your own hands. Some writer worked really hard on whatever it was that Seth was saying. Did you do, do? You remember when wrestling was fun to watch and you understood what people were saying and doing? It was straight. They weren't talking in circles. They weren't trying to be dramatic with flowery prose. And and you, you mean before scripts? Yes, I remember. Yes, and you actually understood what the fuck that they was talking about, what they were bumping their gums about. Did you understand what, well, no, you were asleep by this point.
1: Well, no, I was I was still watching by this point, but you got to remember, my attitude is Seth Rollins is on PCP. That's the gimmick. He could say anything, he could do anything, it, it all fits in with the gimmick. Well, it's Seth versus AJ
2: Styles tonight, and the winner goes into the Money in the Bank match. It's a qualifier, but at that point, Seth looked at his sledgehammer and laughed uproariously And AJ Styles came in and just kicked him over backwards in his chair and knocked him on his ass. So that passes for an angle these days.
1: Uh, Did you watch Becky versus Dana Brooke? I did watch that because I really like Becky Lynch and I wanted to see what they're going to do. And usually she's one of the few highlights of the show. So I did watch. Well, I didn't watch most of this because of Dana Brooke. Because
2: on one hand, you have Becky Lynch, great heel, great worker, great promo. On the other hand, you have Dana Brooke of the 24-7 title nonsense and the plastic surgery that makes her look like a duck-billed platypus. And so I declined to pay too much attention to this. But basically, as, as she should have, Becky beat the shit out of her in very quick fashion. But then Oscar came out and beat up Becky with the erratic... Puke induce camera work, whereas zooming and panning and jerking and things. And the way that this finished up was Oscar hit Becky Lynch with six of her kung fu strikes and kicks without Becky Lynch being able to take one bump or even register anything at 100 miles an hour. And then German and Becky powdered to the entrance. And then Alexa Bliss just comes out right past her, waves at her, and gets in the ring, and Oscar steps out and leaves, and we have a girls' tag match involving other fucking people. What did they... So did they want to get heat on Becky by having her beat up Dana? Or did they want to get Oscar over by having her beat up Becky? Or why the fuck wants that they had started that fight. Did they just have other girls walk in between them, and the whole th- and everybody just left that had been previously fighting? Oh, uh, my fight's over. I'll just walk away now. What fuck happened
1: there? Everything just ends abruptly in WWE in a weird way. Like they go to commercials without saying it. It's a very passive aggressive way. This segment ended in a weird passive aggressive way. Music hit. <laughs> someone else just walked by, and they just went to the next thing. It makes no sense. The show is formatted horribly. It's a horrible show. It's a really, really, really bad show. AEW doesn't put you to sleep like this show does.
2: Well, and, you know, somebody's going to clip you saying that and, and say you're talking about us. Anyway, um, Alexa Bliss and Liv Morgan took on Dewdrop and Nikki Ass. Hey, let me trend on Twitter again real quick. Liv Morgan is too girly. There, I've done it again. The Foo Foo Blondes won this one. They had a package on the Judgment Day where they turned on Edge, and have you already seen when they stand there and speak now without Edge, Finn Balor sounds like an Irish Richie Cunningham, and there's no...
1: (laughs) It was an Irish O.P. Taylor the other day, so I'm glad that he's gotten older. He's growing up a little bit. (laughs)
2: He stays he's, he's lost Fonzie though. He's lost without the Fonz. Um, Kevin Owens wrestled uh, Elkeol in a single match. Whenever they reveal why that this guy is going to this trouble, I'm going to watch that to make fun of the reason. But otherwise, no, I'm not watching this fucking match. It took up 20 minutes of TV time next week. And they the finish? Well, wait a minute. I'm gonna the finish of this match was. Owens losing because he got mad at the announcers calling the guy Ezekiel instead of Elias and stood there yelling at him and got counted out. And then Owens just storms off. Mad. So Ezekiel gets a microphone and talks to all of his Zeke freaks out there. What the... This is written for the mental age of six and he uh says that elias will be on raw next week it'll be a special guest and owens loses his mind because no it's you it's you it's a so how are they going to do this they're going to do a split screen like cactus jack and dude love next week how are they going to give the guy the beard that he shaved off it'll be obviously phony won't it
1: yeah, I don't know how they're going to do it, but let's give credit where credit is due. Kevin Owens, a genius. This guy figured out how to get millions without tearing your pecs. You know, that's true. He's he's never been in anything more
2: insignificant after he got the biggest raise of his life.
1: Yeah, every week he's acting like a goof. He's gotten sillier and sillier than ever before after he got all that money. He's very smart. I think he's doing it the right way. Well, uh, continuing on
2: this program, John Cena. Visited a, now, it, was I correct in saying this was a Ukrainian special needs kid, but he went to the Netherlands to see, because he the kid's family are refugees?
1: I believe Is so, this, yeah.
2: Okay, so John Cena didn't just go to Poughkeepsie. He didn't just drop by on his way to the arena in the town that he heard the kid, he went to the fucking Netherlands. We need more John Cenas.
1: Seriously, Um, no matter what anyone wants to say about his wrestling or his stupid mistake with China a few years ago in Taiwan, whatever that was, but he seems like maybe the greatest human being ever to be around wrestling. Yeah. The fact that he's done all these make-a-wishes, he's still doing it. He put on his whole outfit, and he flew over there to do it. Of course, there was a camera crew, but either way, he's doing these things. Well, but
2: that's why I said the camera crew would be great if you were in Poughkeepsie or fucking Dayton. But there's more motivating you than if. if I was going to go to the Netherlands to meet somebody on purpose and spend the afternoon with him. I'd take a camera crew.
1: Hey, did you see in the news the other day that The Rock gave his mom a new house? Yes, I did. I saw that. Did you immediately laugh about the fact that we always talk on the show about it? He always has a camera crew with him for all these and Here's
2: the camera and mom. But also, you know, it would have been great because he said he had his whole design team, everything inside the house. It was completely furnished down to knickknacks and everything was brand new. It would have been great if she walked in and said, shit is this? Where's my shit? <laughs> <laughs> what have you done to my stuff? Where's, where's your grandfather Peter's fucking shells from the beach? And Anyway, MVP cut a promo on Cedric Alexander because he interfered at Hell in a Cell and Cedric won't stay out of their business, so MVP had to wrestle a singles match against Cedric Alexander. And now they've got the managers wrestling because the manager is a better worker than the guy that he's managing. And Cedric had a flurry and almost distracted him. An MVP took over and hit his finish. Boom, one, two, three, in about 90 seconds. This would have been a squash match under any circumstances, but when the manager beats you in 90 seconds, are they trying to tell Cedric something?
1: I don't know. I was surprised by this whole thing. Actually, I've been surprised that they brought Cedric back for this role. It's been several weeks now, and then his music hit, and this happened. But they brought him back just to make fun of him. Not nobody wanting him to help
2: them, and everything he does backfires.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. (sighs) And this is a way that I guess this is a way you have almost an MVP do something that ties into something without Lashley being involved. Oh, we're going
2: to get to him in a minute. The qualifying match finally came up for the Money in the Bank extravaganza with AJ and Seth. And, you know, I hate to say it. this These guys, again, two great professionals. They're going to have a great ma- match, a great TV match or a pay-per-view match. Whatever you ask them to do, they can both work. They're both incredible athletes. They're not going to. Do anything stupid they're not going to hurt themselves or anybody else it's going to be exciting but on this program in this company it just seems it took 10 minutes to get into it obviously on this show but it it seems like i've seen this all 100 times all the matches look and sound the same the announcers sound the same the building looks the same Both guys, these guys or anybody else that I've just described that fits these parameters, work their asses off, and it all looks good, but there's no life in it. There's no credibility. There's no energy and excitement because the booking, the the storyline, if you want to use that word, the angles, the, the, the reason why these people are interacting, none of it matters. It's all so blah and so same and so eh. So you've got these two guys having a great match on a program with no life that we don't mostly care about. And that's a shame for them. But finally, Seth Rollins hit the buckle bomb and missed a frog splash and AJ went for the Clash of Styles and Seth fucking foiled that and turned it into a top spread one, two, three. So now... (laughs) At least he's back in the win column after he dropped three in a row to Cody. Now they've, they're they going to have to sacrifice AJ and other people that have they've already been beaten like drums to give Seth some wins so that he... And what's he going to do next? Again, they had the perfect fucking deal. Cody and Seth shook hands. Seth could have said... I earned respect for you, which he did in that match. And they could have shook hands. And then instead of attacking him with a sledgehammer, somebody else could have attacked him and he could have got in the thing to fucking fight for Cody's honor, whatever. But instead you got,
1: he's a heel again. And now they're starting him from scratch. Maybe he'll beat some more people. And he still lost those three matches to Cody. The way you just laid out, it would have made a little more sense. Okay, he lost those three matches. He didn't win anything, but now he's a different guy. Now he sees He
2: learned something, and he changed his attitude. And those three losses were the best thing that ever happened to him because now he won't lose again.
1: But that would have been too easy. Until Cody's champion in a year, and then you could build up to another match between the two. And then who's the guy that carried your?
2: Your banner, who's the guy that got even with so-and-so? Who's the guy that did this in your absence? I was carrying the ball and carrying the company, and I did it after the matches with you because you made me say, but now you want to come and take my spot, and you go all the the whole thing over again. Speaking of the whole thing over again, Riddle versus Champa. So now... Tommaso Champa, formerly bright spot of NXT will now be a middle card guy that puts goofs over that they use in the main events but never does anything on his own because elsewise he would get over because he's a great worker and in three minutes Riddle wins with an RKO 1-2-3 and the announcers say easy win for Riddle so now we know Thanks for coming, Tommaso. We really enjoyed you when they used you. At one point in this match, Riddle came off the top with, I think the announcers called it the floating bro, but it's one of those goofy flips where they climb up on the top rope, turn their back on the ring and their opponent jump off, flipping backwards and somersaulting, and he landed full-fledged across both of Tommaso's knees. With Riddle's upper cannonballed, basically a flying cannonball off the top across both of Tommaso's legs in the middle. A guy, and I'm talking about on top of the kneecaps, not the other way, on the backs, but on the tops, like you don't want somebody to land on your legs. Tommaso's already had at least one major ACL knee reconstruction that I'm aware of. So this fucking goof Decides to cannonball him off the top rope and land on both of his legs. And Tommaso sold it, which I don't know if he was selling it because he was selling or whether he sold it because he's like, I can't
1: believe you just did that. Anyway, do you remember any of that? I did watch that and I was pretty horrified for Tommaso because he sold it right away. When he got up and took the next thing, that's when I was like, okay, maybe it's not as bad as I thought. Or maybe he's just a trooper. But it looked really bad. It looked really bad. I mean, he landed right on his knee.
2: (laughs) So Bianca. Bianca Belair was in the ring for a promo, and she said, whatever, and I didn't pay attention. Rhea Ripley popped up on the screen, and that's when I started paying attention, but there she is with Finn Balor and Damian Priest, and I mentioned Finn started, Rhea started, Finn did a smidgen of talking, Priest did most of it, Thank goodness at least his voice has some element of bass in it. Sounds like a man, but they're going to miss Edge real bad. And then Ripley promoted Bianca and the money in the back. She delivers the scripted material, but she delivers it well. I'd like to see, you know, extended versions of what she can do on her own without people telling her what to say, but she does the prepared verbiage better than most of the other girls. And, but then she said the shit and (laughs) Bianca Belair, the babyface in the ring, just stands there and looks at her and they just go to the next thing. No answer. Uh, again, it's like, it's like the three stooges with either Joe Besser or Joe Dorita. It's just like, fuck, there was something there, but it's the wrong combination. They needed some edge.
1: And then... Where's it filmed? Is there a spooky corridor in the building? Are they in the yeah. same dimension that the House of Black is in? Have we not even taken that into account?
2: Well, I think they're, they're in the same dimension until they, they... Every once in a while, they bop over to the fifth dimension, but that's only for Up, Up, and Away in My Beautiful Balloon or Stone Soul Picnic.
1: I'd like to see the cameraman from the Judgment Day segments have a conversation with the cameraman from the House <laughs> of Black segments. <laughs> find out what their you, experiences are like.
2: Can you imagine if, if, but if the cameraman from the judgment day came in and told the cameraman from the house of black, look, here's what you've been trying to do. And here's how you get there. That would be great. Anyway, theory did a promo in the back. I like theories glib nature and animated uh uh, delivery but he was hampered by the ridiculous rule of not looking at the camera that's one foot from your face while you're backstage and that's the only thing you could possibly see and they also made him say the phrase championship opportunity but otherwise it was it was all right for what it was it's about the we'll get to the main event in a
1: second at least you missed that you know the thing I don't get is if you're going to script it, even if you're going to do it, if you're going to insist on that. The way promos effectively work is for the guy to talk through the camera so that people at home feel like there's a connection. He's talking about someone or he's talking to me. Why doesn't Vince accept that? Why is that one of the Vince things that he hates to where people have to look up at things that are not flying in the sky and look over this way at where there's nobody instead of just talking right to the people at home
5: or to their opponent
1: from the time
2: I got in the business and started learning how to do promos and being taught how to do promos people giving me suggestions whatever I always heard yes if someone is interviewing you and you're in a live situation with an audience you look at Recognize, respond to, give an aside to the announcer. He's the guy you're talking to, but you also look at the fans in the arena. And you also, uh, more importantly, if you really want to make a point to the nemesis that you're speaking to, that you're going to be fighting in whatever match coming up, you look at the camera and you make eye contact because you're telling that guy that you're fighting, but what you're also doing is you're telling the fans at home and when they can look in your eyes and see if you look like you mean what you're saying and you're not blinking and you're not shifty eyed and you're not searching in yourself for something to say or trying to remember something when you're burning a hole in that camera lens with your eyes and you're meaning with the inflection and the force in your voice, everything that you say that makes people believe you never anywhere. Have I heard a promoter, booker, anybody else, don't look at the camera until Vince McMahon. Much like medical facility, box-like structure, championship (laughs) opportunity. I forgot about that one, box-like structure. Yeah, there are, he, he started this when I was up there. In the late nineties, he would go out does it looks fake or it doesn't look real when they're just looking at the camera. Tell them not to look at the camera on a pre-tape. There's, there's an interviewer and a empty room. And so that's why everybody would acknowledge the interviewer and then look at the camera. But since he started saying that, and it was like everything else, he would, you would say, well, not why, but what do you mean by this or what, you know, you would ask more detail and he would tell you in a way that to him made perfect sense. And you still, when he was finished, wouldn't under, what What are you seeing that I'm not said that nobody else is seeing that it looks better to you and more real to you. And especially when when Vince would say, well, so-and-so is more real or more natural, and this is the biggest bunch of contrived, phony, choreographed, clusterfuck shit that you're in the middle of, you know how phony some of the WWF stuff is was. And as this is what you're worried about? It doesn't look real? But it, that's, that's his thing. And now they all do it. And it looks odd as fuck. Uh, sometime in the ring, he... T- on the live interviews, he wouldn't want you to look at, and at least you got more to look at it when you're in an arena with people on four sides of you. But I've said before, the handheld camera in the ring would be so close in front of me that I'd have to get on tiptoes and peek over it to look at the people. But as we still weren't supposed to look at it. But I'd look at it every once in a while.
1: Well, obviously, there was people more. People believed me. That's right. People believe you. They still believe you. And I believe there was more to Raw after this theory promo, I just realized. Yes, there was. That's the theory. <laughs> and it hadn't been proven
2: yet. But <laughs> Chad Gable wrestled Muhammad Ali or Mustafa Ali or whatever. Beer Mahan took on Rey Mysterio. Again, there is no answer to whatever the Mysterios have done. He beat the shit out of Ray. Ray got a flurry, got shut down again. Old Beer missed a shoulder to the post and went to the floor, turned around and just wiped Dominic out, just turned him into a grease spot, got back in the ring, stopped Ray, got the camel clutch and got the tap out. Complete squash match of Ray Mysterio. There goes the Hispanic audience. Are you ready for the main event by now, Brian, or do you... Do you wish that you had stayed awake and cognizant longer so that you would have some type of evidence if you intended to go to court to
1: sue over a waste of your time for having to watch this program? I was absolutely sleeping by this point in time, and actually I was thinking more about the idea of going to court to prevent someone who is not the host of this show from transitioning to sponsors. Well, in that case, I know exactly the person you
5: ought to call. Steve-y-do, 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 Steve-y-do. Call Steven. Show or two. Are the rest.
2: Yes, ladies and gentlemen, whether you've been watching a bad television program and you need some relief, or whether you've been wrongfully terminated from your employment and you need some recourse to pursue legal action, or let's say perhaps you've been injured in a car accident by a, a driver who may or may not have been impaired at the time. Let's say, for example, you live somewhere down, down the road from a pig farm and at the pig farm to make the pigs way more, they're feeding them radioactive waste, which when those pigs are slaughtered and made into bacon and you eat the bacon for breakfast, well, it caused your dick to fall off and your wife's uterus to fall out and daggum now you're dragging a uterus what? and a dick down the street. And you don't want to you don't want to cut the cord, but you're afraid that you need those parts. Whether you've been damaged or a friend or family member has been damaged or wrongfully terminated or poisoned or in some way infringed upon their God-given rights to be free Americans in this society, look no further for recourse. If your back is to the wall, then the man who will bust that wall down. And put you flat on your back in a soft mattress with a big bank account. I'm talking about Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888 692 8084. Even if you do take over the program from your host and do transitions that are unauthorized in nature, Stephen P. New is worth it. He's a man that will bring justice to the most unjust situations, he will bring cash to the cashless, he will bring Money to the moneyless, and he will bring shit to the shitheads that caused you to be in that situation to begin with. Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888 692 8084. Can you imagine all the. We've talked about Heyman being the voice of the homeless. Well, Stephen P. New can be the, the, the shitter of the shitterlessness. Or whatever I was going for there.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe. There's always a chance, but I don't know what you were going for or if that was I don't
2: work. know what I was going for anyway. Stephen P. New. <laughs> Newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. I just had to throw that in there because it seemed like we were running out of program.
1: Well, we're not running out of program, and Raw didn't run out of program because you still haven't told me what the main event was. I forgot.
2: Oh, well, was there sleeping. was no main event. Oh. There was no main event because (laughs) the main event slot was taken up by a pose down. A pose down between Austin Theory and Bobby Lashley. I'm not shitting you. They actually plugged this later on. Somehow, there was no reason for this. Theory asked for it. So that's like me asking for a pose down against Luger in his prime theory's in shape but he ain't lashley right they did again either they just needed something with lashley some reason to advertise his name they had no other match they saved it till the end at 10 48 p.m eastern theory starts his entrance they go to the break they do a three and a half minute break they come back and adam pierce is in the ring with theory and he introduces lashley <laughs> and by the time adam pierce is starting the rules for the pose down it's 5 minutes to 11 eastern so then they had to rush through this thing it was like theory had the um the wireless mic like you wear around your head like madonna in the concerts right so he can speak even though his hands are occupied and but he never got a chance to say anything. He started to say, "Whoa, whoa, to Pierce, wait a minute, he wanted to tell Pierce something." Pierce said, "Shut up, get to posing." <laughs> Cuz they got like 3 minutes left. So or he'll or you'll be disqualified. Get on the podium or you'll be disqualified is what he said. So then Theory gets up there and does three poses, double bicep, side chest, most muscular. And I'm thinking, "Where did this come from? Why are they doing this? There's no reason." And then Lashley gets up, does the three poses, and it's audience participation voting. So shockingly, he wins. Even though Theory had the wireless microphone on, that's the one that he got on there and told people, cheer me, and they don't. And then he, and then who won, me or Lashley? And they cheered Lashley like crazy. So Theory says, one more pose, and then pulls a thing of baby oil out from behind the, What's he got, the U.S. title or the Intercontinental title? Which one is it? U.S. title. U.S. title. Say, boy, should tell him something right now. Which title does he have again? Gunther uh, has the other one. Yeah, well, he's got the U.S. title. He has a thing of baby oil. He squirts Lashley in the eyes, and Lashley sells it like carbolic acid in his pupils, and— Theory hits a drop kick, and Lashley takes a bump out on the floor, and then people come to give Lashley a towel for his eyes, and Theory takes selfies in the ring, and that was it. And that was it.
1: And they don't think they've given up. That's the saddest thing about what this show is. They don't think that's how this comes across. You mean to tell me that they said, point me to the white flag when they saw the army they were about to march into war with? I know they don't have a giant roster, which is amazing considering all the wrestlers they fired over the last few years. I was about to say they fired two territories worth of guys in the last
2: year. And didn't we at one point still say they had 100 and something left? Where'd they all go?
1: That's a good question, but that was Monday Night Raw for a very raw Monday, as it Mm. were. Jim, one or two more questions before we wrap things up. Very well. This next one was sent to CourtneyDriveThru at gmail.com from Jason and Nyssa in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Last night, my better half and I went to the SmackDown House show here in Albuquerque at the Tingley Coliseum.
2: My God. So, all the arenas in the whole country that have been torn down and shuttered and boarded up, and the Tingley Coliseum in
1: Albuquerque is still there. Holy mackerel. The building was opened in 1957 and gives a very old-timey feel when watching wrestling, but in the best way. Natalia and Rousey had a SmackDown women's title match where Natty came out and tried her best to be a heel. That worked up until the match started. <laughs> Natty was going at half speed and Rousey still couldn't catch up. The crowd started chanting Holly Home." Holly's from Ooh. Albuquerque and trains there, oh. and in between chants, you could have heard a mouse fart. Long story, incredibly boring, what do they do with Rousey? She gets heat, but needs a mouthpiece to speak for her, which is also part of why she can't get over as a babyface, and the in-ring work doesn't seem to have improved in the last four odd years. What would you do to right the ship and make Rousey a believable babyface, or heel, if the in-ring work remains where it is, or can that ship even be righted? P.S. Slim Down Gunther is quite the sight to see in person. What an animal. Oh, God.
2: With Rousey, here's the thing. He said the work hadn't gotten better at the in-ring in four years. I'm would have to think that she paid little to no attention to wrestling training during the time that she wasn't in the ring. She had a baby, right? They had the Browsy Acres. She's got the chickens, the pigs. I'm beginning to think that Ronda Rousey did this because she could. She was a fan of Roddy Piper. She got a tickle out of wrestling. Her and her girlfriends used to talk about it. so when she became a megastar in the ufc and and the mma world and got a chance to sign a contract for a shitload of money to go to the wwf wwe i'm sh- you know it was probably a big deal at first but then she got over it because you can tell now there's no interest there's no she doesn't look like she's having fun she can't talk she can't do a promo that draws you into her personality is apparently negligible. Um, and the work is not getting any better past what she does, her strong point, which is shoot style stuff that she's comfortable with. And I don't know anything you can do about that at this point. What if they'd recognized it early on, and maybe they did the first run, because she was what'd they say the whole first run, she had 30-something matches that counted for house shows and everything when you've got somebody like that that's a huge name from a complimentary sport that can jump mma to wrestling anything from dan Severn to ken shamrock to any other shooter in the world focus on their strengths and try to keep them away from their weaknesses don't have them especially do anything that looks hokey because the whole Reason to have the Kurt Angle, the Brock Lesnar, is that you want people to believe them. They're gold medalists, they're UFC champions, they're mixed martial artists. You want people to believe them. And you don't want to see them if they're not polished pro workers. You don't want to see them for long periods of time or repetitively because then you can see through it. You want them to be in big matches. That get in and get out, use their explosiveness, and still make it seem like a shoot to take advantage of the strong points that they bring to the table. You don't want them doing 20-minute you, Like I said, don't put Rousey in a fucking battle royal where she has to twist in the wind and figure out how to keep herself busy. You want her focused on one opponent that's probably got some experience so that she can take all the throws and the judo moves. You don't want Ronda Rousey out there like anybody who can't talk doing long-winded explanations of shit or a flowery backstory to an issue. You want them to be able to speak and get the point across and get out. If they wanted to make her a babyface, that horse has left the barn, I think, at this point because not only have the people seen that her work is not necessarily there, but they've seen her disinterest and her bleh promos and just, Maybe that's why Vince told her to smile because she needed to look like she was having fun because she looks like she's at gunpoint out there. They could easily make her a heel. All they got to do is fucking put Paul Heyman in her corner and let him talk for her and let her only have three or four pay-per-view matches a year against only the best girls in the company, Bianca, Becky, Charlotte, whatever, and even then you'd have to turn most of them because most of their best girls are heels also. But Heyman could make the little bitch a fucking heel and no, no sweat if she kept her mouth shut, put that demon makeup on, got that stink face, and did some dirty deeds to people and just let Heyman do the talking and, and the thinning. He could do the thinning around there for both of them. Then she could be a heel because people are starting not to like her anyway. But it's sad when you got a name with that much name value and recognition. And at first it was like, oh, you know, like I said, she was a big fan and probably tickled to do it. But I think now it's like, uh, I'm still committed to this. I've moved on in my head. She tends to get fed up and move on with things quickly, doesn't she?
1: I guess so. I could tell you, you know, in terms of her career regressing. I feel like it's just in the last few months it's gotten really bad. It was okay, she's rusty, she's been gone a little while. The promos have gotten worse over the last few months, and in the ring... Remember, she had a few moments that were really good. She wore the karate in Saudi Arabia, and she looked pretty good in there. Yeah. But boy, I don't want to watch her anymore. It's just,
2: I, She doesn't look like she wants to be there, or elsewise, she's just
1: you know, very, very shy. And very bleh. Jim, this next question sent on Twitter using the hashtag corny drive through was sent by Bronco Bronson. What are Jim's thoughts on AAA not allowing their talent who are also signed to AEW through dual contracts, Andrade and the Lucha Brothers to be specific, not allowing them to wrestle at the Forbidden Door pay-per-view due to New Japan Pro Wrestling's partnership with rival promotion CMLL?
2: Brian, I hate to break this to the public at large, but I could give two French fried titty fucks who AAA works with or who they don't. And I have no opinion one way or the other because if it's less of the Lucha Brothers that we get to see on television, I'm happy with it.
1: All right, well, that won't be the last question. This next one possibly I mean, will be
2: whatever. I don't give a shit. Well, it's not about the people. It's more about shit. the politics.
1: The politics between the I don't give a shit officers. about the politics.
2: I don't know why people want to book half these fucking people on a show to begin with. So I certainly don't care about the fucking politics of AAA and CMLL and New Japan and AEW. Why don't one of those companies try to concentrate on doing a good show without having to involve the other three?
1: Well, Jim, our final question this week sent to corny drive-thru at gmail.com from Charlie in Stockville, Mississippi. Ted DiBiase recently said he regretted the way he left WWF in the 90s because he sent Vince McMahon a letter to announce he was going to WCW. DiBiase said, quote, I got an opportunity to come back and I finally got a chance to sit down with Vince and said, I should have come and talked to you. He was okay with it. We mended the fence, and it has been mended ever since. What are your thoughts on the way DiBiase left for WCW? And do you think he will ever mend the fence? <laughs> this is from Charlie. And do you think he will ever mend the fence with the state of Mississippi for stealing millions of dollars? No! Oh! I don't know. that. He may,
2: uh, he may have time to look at some fences over that one. You know, well, Ted was... <sighs> He wasn't wrestling. He was managing because obviously he had the, he, his was neck, right? He had a bad neck. That's why I'm, it's why he had to quit. I believe so. wrestling, yeah. right? He was managing Steve Austin as the ringmaster. And Vince was hurt, somewhat insulted that Ted did leave at that point to go to WCW because of the million dollar man gimmick and the, you know, fact that ted had been a big deal in the wwf several years beforehand but at that point he couldn't wrestle he was managing austin the they were more or less that was where vince was trying to use some of his previous generation stars to get some of the newer guys over and with you know not stellar results remember honky-tonk man managing rockabilly billy gunn um, it was like the, the new delinquent son in the nineties of the eighties WWF character, honky tonk man spawned rockabilly and the million dollar man spawned the ringmaster. He was using Teddy cause Teddy could still talk and do a good promo. And he had a name and people knew who he was, but that was not a good combination. Ted and and Austin, because of all the reasons we've talked about Austin didn't want to be the ringmaster. Uh, because there was really nothing about the ringmaster that was anything Uh, the way Vince came up with that or decided on that was just that everybody told him well Austin's a great worker in the ring so okay well he'll be the ringmaster because that's another way of saying I Vince McMahon think you're the shits and you can't talk and you look like Ned but you can work so we'll give you a manager whatever and Thankfully, when Ted left, that left the door open for Steve Austin. So, Ted leaving the company, and I'm not even knocking Ted here, but Ted leaving the company made them more money than anything the million dollar man ever did in the company. When you think about it, having said that, Ted left because they were throwing money away like drunken sailors in WCW and he could get a guaranteed contract for beaucoup amounts more of money then Vince was paying him to do the same thing, wander around and talk, and he didn't even have to work as hard because he got lost in the shuffle down there when they signed 200 people. And wasn't he basically, his WCW career consisted of being a
1: partial manager of one of the NWO groups? He was an early NWO member, which made you think he was actually going to have a bigger role to play, and then he just kind of faded into the background. That's why they brought Virgil in as Vincent. Was you had DiBiase there? It made sense. Yeah. And then he kind of faded into the background. Except Teddy later. wasn't
2: wrestling. So that's he, right. <laughs> he was just in the NWO. but So he had to have his own NWO manager, even though he wasn't. A, so, yeah. But he made a ton of money. But you couldn't it's, say that because he couldn't be the million-dollar man. So there's a man who appears to have some wealth at ringside. But that's, you know, again, that's that's why he left. And it was actually the better thing. And that's probably why Vince made up with him and buried the hatchet because he looks back and said, yeah, fuck. If you hadn't left, I would have kept Austin doing what he was doing instead of just giving up and waving my hands in the air and letting him be himself.
1: All right. Well, with that, Jim, let's get a couple songs and get the hell out of here. Let's see if these people want to be themselves. This first song, Jim, was sent via email, the corny drive through at gmail.com from Orlando, David in Oregon here's this song and in the back seat
2: i goddamn let uh, while dennis is filling up with gas right i let the most disca- It was one of the silent but deadly like noxious gas where it don't make any noise but it's so hot it feels liquid and you can feel when it's coming out of your fucking butt cheeks just as it, it that it's going to turn the walls brown and it's dripping with humidity And the heat of it determines the fucking smellability factor. And this one almost burned my sphincter. (laughs) Whether it's rock or rap. (laughs) And you can feel when it's coming out of your fucking butt cheeks. (laughs) you
6: And the heat of it determines the fucking smellability factor. And this one almost burned my space. Yeah, too bad for Bobby's stomach. No longer beautiful. Jim shit his pants and never, ever wash his <laughs> cubicles. Some toilet paper about his ass. No, he couldn't pass. On Derrick Queen, fuck his order up and there's a scene. He's about as mean as mean gene and never clean. It's fantastic how his ass is used for dropping things. What a marvel. Never know for smoking marbles. Jim Cornette, you could bet his farts crack the marble. Never coddled. Silo. But the gas is throttled. Plug your nose, he's a pro filled with mass provider. The Mud Night Express his mud, butts a mess. Calvin Klein's a hains, he puts him to the test. The best, he's dropping turds on Jim Herd. it's his word. Shit staying can't compare to his curds. Redefine the definition the shit squirts. Ass dripping, humidity, his hips hurt. Gotta squeeze and ease out a few spurts. It's a shame the change, changes. Shit hurts. Whatever happened to DTS and heel turns? He's Jim cornet. His sphincter bleeds and ass burns. Stephen P, the baddest lawyer, but that's word. What up? What Brian, up, Ryan Last?
5: <laughs> well, there it
1: is. You see that? You embrace Max Castor, and now we have people sending in raps to this show. I love it. You never know what's going to inspire the audience. Any thoughts on that one? I oh got that one. Then I'll, I've
2: said before I didn't like rap, but I'll make an exception for that one. That was a, and at first the music when it was coming in, I was thinking it was the soundtrack to an old Vanessa Del Rio starring role, but uh, it came right in.
1: Just like in a Vanessa Del Rio starring role, like in a starring role of
2: Vanessa Del Rio, it came right in.
1: Let's get another song here. That was Cornet's Mud Butt by Orlando David and. <laughs> In Oregon. Here is a song sent to cornydrivethrough@gmail.com Drive Through Gmail.com from Jason in Alabama. Let's hear this. Well,
0: there's a dirty rider in our neighborhood. His name is Uncle Dave, and he's really tweeting good. He watched a AW and then picked up his phone. He opened up his app, and this was going on. Well, Brian was on the sofa getting really high. The Bucks were scouting talent at a local junior high. But Corny was in the backyard rolling up a garden hose. So they picked up his phone, and next thing we all know, he was tweeting yeah, he was tweeting. Now, Uncle Dave, yeah, he's just trying to get corny to trend. I can't believe he's out there typing so much bullshit just to tweet. Tweeting. Tweeting. Now Dave's obsessed with corny, he's the apple of his eye, and when he types his name, Dave rubs his inner thigh. Tony might sign his paycheck and has all along, but he knows corny right, and that, well, he's all wrong when he's tweeting. Tweeting! Yeah, when he's tweeting. Now Uncle Dave, yeah, he's just trying to get corny to trend But I would think Dave's missing all those backflips From his friends when he's sweetin' Well, I said Dave, he's just trying to get corny to trend But I would think he's missing all those backflips With his friends when he's sweetin' Sweetin', yeah You know, one of these days, Dave might make Corny famous with all these tweets.
5: (laughs) All right. All right. Wait a minute. There it is. Some
2: more of it. All the people. The people are loving it. Who was that, John Anderson? Our apologies. Jason
1: from Alabama, I believe. No, the original song. Oh. <laughs> and he was
2: swinging, like, swinging. How did he
1: confuse Jason in Alabama with John Anderson? No, I <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's get one last song and we're out of here. This was sent in, the newest song submitted by Rocky the Ramone. All right. Let's end with this. I
2: haven't heard Tony Khan say anything in a long time, and I have a feeling that's about to come to an end because you're going to make me listen.
3: Let's fucking go! (laughs) Over the years, a good amount of financial data in pro wrestling. I can tell you, like, no one wrestler has ever come in and made a bigger plus delta financial difference in the history of my company going into this is the third year anniversary this week. Going into year four, no one person has ever made a more positive impact.
5: You talk too much, you don't make any sense at all. You might want to cut back on the Adderall. You just talk. Talk too much. You talk about ratings for just one night. You lay down facts and figures that aren't quite right. You just talk. Talk too much. Talk about fish off and have a fit. And then you go after Jerry McDivitt. You just talk. Talk too much. This
3: fucking guy, he fucking did the Friday Night War. He did the first dance. He's done the record Double or Nothing. He did the record all after his debut. He, did a, he was a big part of a record full Gear. a great match with Eddie Kingston, and fucking bunch of, he wrestled a bunch of young guys, a bunch of veterans in between there, the, Will Hobbs, Daniel Garcia, goddamn it. And then he showed up at, did the biggest program in terms of everything, TV, Bob's Out Ever with MJF. And then he did the goddamn main event here. He's the biggest part of financial success in the history of this company.
5: Talk about waiting on hoops and nets. But then you won't talk about MJF. You just talk. Talk too much. You talk too much, you drone on endlessly. While CM Punk looks on incredulously. You just (laughs) talk. Talk too much. Talk about a bunch of irrelevant junk Then you get told to move on by CM Punk You just talk Talk too much he
3: carried the Friday Night War, which, by the way, is a matter of record in fucking court. just asked Gary to give it because he fucking wrote it. That's a shitty opinion. It's the most bullshit opinion I've ever heard. And like I said, I hope the answer I gave get back to why he's the opposite. He's actually, for us, the biggest financial success story. In the okay, we're moving on. Thank you, okay. thank you, thank you. I just, I get me up. Right. Sorry, I know, sorry, I know. sorry,
1: sorry. <laughs> Good one there from Rocky the Ramone. Did we
2: stand up for that one? I've mean, it. That's money right you there. Talk too much.
1: I forgot that Tony threw a goddamn it in. Yeah, well, there you go. This motherfucker right here, goddamn it. <laughs> With that, the drive-through is closed. Hold on, I got my saxophone.
2: Oh, my
1: God. You know, people are now sending me advice how to play this thing. Yeah, somebody needs to. Of course, the drive-thru will return next week. Hold on, let me make it a little sweeter for everyone. Were you, that saxophone, were you sticking the mouthpiece up your ass and farting for that, or? I think that was one of the songs we just heard. But, of course, you can hear more of this kind of wonderful joy next week on the drive-thru. And this weekend on the Jim Cornet Experience, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Don't forget, access the archives of The Drive-Thru and the Experience. Patreon.com slash Cornet. $5 a month gets you access to the archive. Patreon.com slash Cornette. Subscribe to the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Over 300,000 subscribers and growing daily. Full episodes, clips of episodes, omnibus collections, all with the very popular and exclusive Travis Heckle artwork. There's something you hear on this show that you want to share on social media? The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. You can follow Jim on Twitter at Cornette. You can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Don't forget about Cornette's collectibles at JimCornette.com. Are there any figures still
2: left? There are a few. Commentator play sets still available. Get them while you can. There will now be no waiting on any of this stuff because we're all caught up.
1: Thanks to the hands of the feather bottoms. At jimcornette.com. And in your mailbox, I presume, of course, the drive-thru is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New. 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen at newlawoffice.com. But until next week here on the drive-thru, and this weekend on the Jim Cornette Experience. For Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tell
7: ho Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big Fuck and Putin and those outlaw much show fucks. Joey Ryan, the Young Bucks, the Rednecks and Dumb Fucks, and them door-corner bum fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Corny's drive-through, Corny's drive-through, Corny's drive-through. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his millions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. We pledge allegiance to the leader of the mighty cult of cornet. And to the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese cool girls like Kenny Omega. Love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you, Steven you Everybody, drive-through. drive-through. Connie's drive-through. Connie's drive-through. And now here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.